One hello everybody and welcome to Tides of Death character backstory session one. How are you doing today, Mr. Mooton? Doing well, Quobu. How are you? I am good. I've got myself some fried chicken and some onion rings and some waffle fries. I'm ready for go. some Tides of Death. That's all you need. Mm-hmm. So we're here to talk about your character's backstory. About how you came to be the man that you are today. So, um, <clears throat> let's let's just hop in. You were born in a town um, in a, not a major port, but like near a major port in one of the inner island rings. Um, there are five major islands there. I, when did you leave? Um, you would have left somewhere between the ages of 12 and 18. How old are you today? Uh, my character right now, I believe, is 18. Okay. I know he's 19. So, so you probably would have left. I had to left when I was pretty young. Yeah, yeah. You probably would have had to leave when you were 12 or so, which yeah. means you would know a little bit about the world that you came from, but not everything about it. For sure. Um, so do you want to pick one of those five central islands that you could be from? If you can see it on the realgoblins.com slash maps.php page. Yeah, let me open that up again. One second on yeah. this monitor. Uh, is there... Can you tell me about the five all? Like, <laughs> yes, doing? actually, I have okay. some newer maps that can discuss those in a little bit more detail. Let me just open up my map notes. And these are like the five big islands where I assume there is a very strict and heavy force for the mm -hmm. white cleric. Got it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, no, no. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay. The five inner islands are named K. Kos. Okay, Omar. My map is not opening. It's just half opened. Ah, oh, here we go. Great. Um, so the one at the very north end, the the northern one is uh, the major town there is called Halfport Bay. The island is called Thavamos. It is the largest, most populous, um, with the biggest city center and the most most resources. It's kind of like the main. If there was a main uh, island, that would be the main island. I'm um, going clockwise. Then one next to that, that on the map is sort of doodled in. Um, it says Dock Town on it. That's the yep. major town. It's got like a big open sort of like lagoon nature to the, the major city there where everyone's like living on piers and living on boats and everyone just like uh, paddles over to each other. So there's not much like mm -hmm. land walkways, lots of like oceanic um, sailing between places. The next one going clockwise is Omar. It's uh, main town is called Mima Beach. Think of it more kind of like a Hawaiian-esque area where you've got like these large mountain ranges that dominate the center of the islands and everyone just kind of lives along the coasts. It's heavily overgrown, pretty jungly, and the level of development is much lower compared to the other four islands out here. So it's, you would call it like the poor island, but like they're yeah. still wealthier than most of the, uh, like the outer ring definitely and most of the, the, the midlands. Um, it's kind of like a nice tropical beachy place. The next one over 
in the lower left. Uh, the major town there is Ragoon, and the island is Caicos. This place is... Um, all these islands are like federated states, really. And Ragoon slash Caicos is the... The, the island with the most independence who like they're part of the united islands of whatever it's called um i should probably actually look that up the united islands of the dardens uid but they're like they were the last ones to join they were the ones that sort of had to be forced into it and they very much have their own sort of independence and we don't really you know we're in the empire, but you can never trust the government sort of people. But they still uh, have to follow like the wizard and cleric th- rules. They absolutely have to follow all the yeah. things. They're full states, um, but the the local laws are sort of like the ruler of the island makes the laws and governs things on land, and the uni- united uh, unified empire sort of governs the port towns and the things that happen at sea, and then can like impose on the islands with sufficient you know, bureaucracy checks, basically. Got it. Um, And the last one is Thalassa, the the island just to the left. Uh, Its major town is Capital City. This is the capital of the Dardens. This is where the White Prince lives on this giant fucking mountain in the middle of the island. Uh, It's where the greatest shipbuilding source centers of shipbuilding are and it's where the center of government happens so that is our, our five central islands um cool i would have probably been from um the fourth island the one before this one that you just mm-hmm. mentioned uh the one that's like a the last one brought into the states but mm-hmm. still heavily ruled the texas of the texas the dardens yeah yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, Nilram would have been from um, what was he called again? Do you know? Uh, Ragoon. Nilram would have been from Ragoon. Yeah, R A G O O N. For those of you that are taking notes with me. Excellent. So, let's talk about what happens when you turn twelve years old. The Inquisitor comes to town. Now, the Inquisitor is a specific person who works on this island. Each of the five center islands has one Inquisitor, and then there's one for the Midlands, who, like, travels from island to island, and one for the Outer Rim, who travels from island to island. These Inquisitors are powerful uh, agents of the state. They are equipped with a helmet that has, like, a bluish glow on the inside that is said to allow the Inquisitor to see the magical aura produced by all magical things and also to be able to see auras or the ability of spellcasters. So they can look in a crowd and see who is capable of casting spells right away, as well as whatever magical items or spells or spell effects or scrolls or potions or whatever are lying around. These Inquisitors also have a squire who carries with them their shield. Their shield has an anti-magic shell um, enchantment placed on it. So everything within a certain distance of that shield cannot have any magical effects running. So the Inquisitor will walk around with their helmet on, looking around for people who might be spellcasters, while their squire follows from like, you know, 40 or 50 or 100 feet behind them carrying a shield just in case, you know, a mage shows up and battle needs to be done. These Inquisitors are like multi-class fighter mages. They are like ninth level 
Um, and they travel with an entourage that includes a wizard and a cleric and some porters and a messenger and, you know, all the trappings of fancy, um, almost like ambassadors of the state. Even the yeah. Outer Rim ones? Even the Outer Rims, yeah. Uh, okay. The Outer Rim guy, you don't know anything about. Um, yeah. He's probably a little bit different than your inner island guy. There, you could probably expect a lot of differences personality-wise and equipment and maybe even experience level-wise. But for you... For sure. As a kid, all you would know is that the Grand Inquisitor has come to your village. He comes by every four years. And every four years, all the kids in the village are gathered together so the Grand Inquisitor can take a look over them and see which ones have the, the aptitude, the ability to cast spells. And while you and the other children between the ages of 12 and 18 are gathered out, the Inquisitor walks by and stops when his eyes rest upon you. Um, and will come over and take a knee next to you and say in his <clears throat> deep voice, Hello, little child. Who might you be? Uh, I'll... Yeah, respond, uh, I'm Nilrem, uh, my lord? Well, yeah, the confusion is the appropriate response for yeah. a 12-year-old dealing with the Grand Inquisitor. For Absolutely. Sure. Um, Nilrem. Nilrem. Can you do things, special things, that other children can't do? Well, uh... My parents have always called me uh, smarter than most and uh, quicker to learn, but I don't think I've ever done anything before. You know, I work he, in the field, I do my work. The Inquisitor grabs a rock off the ground and places it in your hand and tells you to make the rock float. Would I be able to do that? Absolutely not, no. You don't yeah, have a levitation no, spell. I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll try, but... Nothing happens. Nothing happens. He nods. Um, and motions to the wizard and cleric with him. And they come on over and he puts a hand on your shoulder and says, these are my friends. They're going to ask you some questions. Would you, would you go with them, Nilrim? I shake my head and I'll follow them. All right. Um, the Grand Inquisitor will get up. Give and a worrying look to my parents, I guess. They, you can see them like yeah. clutching each other and looking very concerned at you as the Grand Inquisitor gets up and starts walking between other kids, looking at them, maybe having a quick chat with a few of them, but you were the only one to get pulled out of line. Are we in like a ho-dunk town or like my parents, like some sort of like merchants or like nobility? Um, uh, it's a great question. You can tell me. You can be in the capital, the ma major town here. You can be in Rangoon. You can be in an outlying village. There are other towns and cities around. Uh, this island that you're on is most of the people are based inland near a. You know, I have a map of this. Why don't I just. And it's I unfinished. It? Yeah, totally. It's an so unfinished like, map, but let me like give you a map. Of that I guess. Yeah. What would you think on a D100? Like 90 to 100 nobility? 15% uh, of the population is noble, so 85 and above. Okay. 85 and above, and then peasant is the rest, or would like there be like merchant? Um, if you want, you can do uh, lower 50% is like peasant's level. The right. next 15% is going to be um, maybe the next 20% is servant. And the next 15% is um, that, like, middle class merchant or professional. And then the top and then nobility. is nobility. 
69, so... That would servant? be the next 20. Yeah, they are servant class. Cool. Um, maps. Dan's so, so yeah, I'll shoot like a worrying look back at like my parents who are servants. Mm-hmm. And they clutch themselves. And I guess I'll go with the cleric and the mage, uh, the wizard. Yeah. Um, so you're from the servant class. You can be at the major port town, or you can be at one of these many towns that's around this like central lake in the middle of the island. That's got like a mountain range, a crescent-shaped mountain range on the south side, and just like a gentle mountain range on the north side. And there's Let's a do major port town. Rangoon is the major port town. Is that where you want to be from? Yep. Cool. Yeah, that sounds good. Perfect. Um, yeah, we don't. I guess we don't need this. But just between you and me, this is what your island looks like in rough form, where those Let's... mountains and then a lake and some rivers and shit. Okay, cool. <clears throat> All right. The cleric and wizard will take you by your hands and walk you back to a wagon that is parked um, down the road a little bit. You know, you're in the major port town, but you're probably a little bit further away from, like, the actual main dock. And so the each, like, section of the main port town will have its kids come out and the Grand Inquisitor will come through and take a look at them. And they'll do, like, one section per day and chat with the parents and chat with the priests and the local community leaders and whatnot just to, like, you know, ask questions about the people around there. You'll what is get the story led. for people mm-hmm. who get picked by the Grand Inquisitor? So me growing up, I probably would have seen a few people in my lifetime get picked over. Is this like an honor or is this something that like the parents like kind of like fear because they're never seen from again or? A little bit of both, you know, um, okay. it's the sort of thing where you will get pulled aside and then depending on your age and the way, you know, the they're going to talk to you and run some tests. So depending on how old you are and how the tests go, you either might be then left to live with your parents for a little while. You might be pulled into the state immediately. You Mm. might be like brought back for further questioning and then just never seen from again or heard from again. So people who are like, yeah, yeah, people who are, you know, proud of their child and really want them to excel might be really excited that their child is being like pulled aside by the Inquisitor. They could be a great cleric or a great wizard. They could lead, you know, a ship or something one day. Or if you don't trust the government, they're here to take your child. So I think your parents are more in the we don't trust the government. They're here to steal my child um, mindset. And you can see them be concerned. The wizard and cleric will pull you into this carriage, and then after the Grand Inquisitor has chatted with everyone, he'll arrive back in the carriage as well, and you guys will all ride off to the ship that is docked in the harbor in Rangoon. This is a special ship. This is the Grand Inquisitor's ship. Um, And there are some special chambers in here in which they apply certain tests to the local children. Since you're 12, the first one they're going to give you is an aptitude test. Um, They ask you questions. They show you like little carvings, ask you what they are. They ask you to do some basic math. They they pry at you with questions of logic. Um, It's a sort of like a standardized, almost intelligence test that they use to figure out who you are. Um, And with that, why don't you make an intelligence check to see how well you fare on this aptitude test? Okay, so I have an 18, so this should go well. Mm Mm-hmm. So a 33. You score very high on the aptitude test. 
a 33 is actually a pretty incredible score. Um, an average person would have to roll a natural 20 and be on the upper side of average to make this sort of check. So that you score a 33, you know, on your first try, you can see the wizard and the cleric among um, exchange looks as you answer these questions quickly and accurately and have deep thought and insight into it. And you're only 12. It's a little, it's a little weird. They pull themselves aside and begin to ask or talk amongst themselves for a little while. And then the cleric comes back and opens up a bag and pulls out like 28 little statues. And you can pretty quickly tell that each of these statues is a an individual depiction of a deity in various forms. And the cleric will arrange them in a series of concentric circles, sort of like the, the Dardens are, where the big seven will go in the middle and then their children will go around them and then the upper and the lower gods will dot the the very outside ring and the cleric will ask you uh, which of these figures which of these deities stands out to you the most which one of these do you feel drawn to and uh, i will link you the full pantheon document and you can tell me which of these deities um, stands out to can I just roll? little kid? You can totally roll, yeah. If you want to yeah. just pick one randomly. I think randomly. rolling like, randomly, is, I think that's cool. Um, so one out of 28. One out of 28. Uh, 26. Uh, so that will be three off the back. That is going to be Ponos, the Let's god go. of suffering, child of Nadinus and Malchus. His holy symbol is a sort of like a purple spiral that gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And Cleric will look at you. And I'll ask you, you, you understand that suffering is is bad, right? Uh, suffering is just something everybody goes through. It's, the, it's, a, it's a great equalizer, you know? It's something we all share in common. And Cleric looks upset at this. This is not what children are supposed to say. This is not supposed to be the methods of the youth. Um, cleric will ask you, you, you know that the oceans spin clockwise. Is that why you picked Ponos? Because Ponos spirals clockwise just like the seas? Uh, Nilrim will shake his head. Um, <clears throat> my parents being from the serving class, uh, they go through quite a lot of suffering every day, and I see my friends... Uh, uh, he'll recant some peasant names. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, everybody suffers on some level. The cleric picks up the figure of a stair, the largest of the figures, and sets it before you and goes, well, what about structure to the world? Don't we all need to know our place in the world so we know how to operate? Isn't it important that your family knows that they're servants and will always be servants and that their life is set? Doesn't that structure and order help them in their days? I think that uh, everybody should be able to move around, you know? If somebody wants to be free, uh, strive for more than just being a peasant, they'll respond. You see the cleric's brow furrows deeply. <clears throat> well, what about... Are you saying that even servants should be able to rise to the rank of nobility? Uh, he will 
trail off. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know. I, I'm just saying that, you know, everybody has a... Uh, has something about them that makes them unique, and there's probably something to be special in everybody. I don't. A stare is great. I'll respond. Give me a charisma check. Yeah. Eighteen. For those of you who are new, twenty-one or higher is a success. So an eighteen is a failure here. The cleric pats you on the head, picks up all their little figurines, puts them back into a bag, um, and you find yourself whisked back into the carriage later that day after a few more tests and questions. Um, And while you're waiting in the carriage for the driver to arrive, you can hear the cleric outside speaking with the Grand Inquisitor. Um, their words are kind of hushed, and you're inside a carriage that's well-built with glass panes, so there's difficult for sound to travel back and forth. Give me a perception check to see if you can make out the conversation being had. Oh. All right. Well, you can see that they're pretty cross with one another. There is um, a lot of gesticulating. The cleric seems to be fairly adamant about something. Um, and after five minutes of them chatting... The Grand Inquisitor will poke his head inside and say, Nilrim, you've been a very good boy. We're going to send you back with your parents for tonight. Um, And in a few days, when it is time, our ship will leave and we will head to the capital for some further... investigations. Is that okay? I nod. Good boy, he says, and uh, he speaks to the driver who will take you back to your home. Uh, You'll arrive back at your house 15 minutes later or so. The driver will let you out and you can go in um, and your parents are there eagerly waiting. They, They see you through the window when you get out of the carriage and come to meet you in the street. Uh, They look at you and throw their arms around you and say, what? Nilrim, son, what happened? What happened? What? What did they do to you? Are you okay? All right, they put me through some tests, but uh, it seemed like uh, they weren't happy with how it turned out. What? As I was watching from the carriage, the cleric was in an uproar. Uh, I'm not sure. They asked which god I favored, and I don't know, just looking at the... You said a stare, each- right, son? Right, son. What? Well, they wanted a, my real answer, and just looking at the figurines, you know, I, I thought Ponos was the one who looked the best. Your mother covers her face with her hands, frustrated. Your father, like, holds her tight and whispers to her, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. What are your parents' names? Uh, Susie. It'll be fine, Susie. Yeah. Or whatever. You can you can change Doesn't that matter. later if you want. You'll yeah, probably I'll, never I see them again. Later, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that night... You find yourself, um, you find your parents packing your bags that night. Uh, They've got a little cloth knapsack that they're shoving some clothing into. They put in your favorite blanket. They they stuff in anything that you might need, a little bit of food. Um, They give you, your mother gives you one of her rings. It's a, a small emerald ring that she's got. It's like the most valuable thing your family has. It was what your father proposed to her with. 
Um, and you can see this stuff, and they haven't really told you what's going on, but they're stuffing your bag with stuff and stuff and more stuff. And finally... Um, I'll come down and I'll ask, uh, is this for the preparation for me going to the capital? Your dad speaks up. <clears throat> Son, you're not going to the capital. Those people, we don't even know what they're going to do with you. And if you didn't... You didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. Might do something terrible with you. Where am I going to go then? Is this inside like a noble, a noble house that they're doing this? Uh, no, your servants. They're servants, but you, they have their own property. Yeah, yeah it's okay. like an apartment. There's like you know six units in the building. Your parents have like a, a two room home, and then they like walk to work in the mornings. Got it. Um, your dad pats you on the shoulder and says. Uh, I have a friend. Do you, you remember your uncle Tommen, right? Yeah. Well, you're going to go with uncle Tommen. He's here in town tonight. Do you remember the third dock? We've been there before. It's the the one where the you remember the the crane is a little bit broken. Explain, he would cut him off and explain like exactly where it is, mm-hmm. so like a T, mm-hmm. explaining the direct routes. Your dad nods and goes, good, good son. Uncle Tommen is going to be waiting at the docks for you on the third dock tonight. He hands you a bag of money. You can feel the weight of it. It's a lot of coins. The bag is like overstuffed. (sighs) Uncle Tommen is going to take you somewhere safe, son. He's going to take you somewhere far away from here. And we're not going to see you ever again. Do you understand? Nilrem would, like, start to tear up. Uh, Why? It didn't go that bad. The the meeting was fine. They seemed impressed at how smart I was on the tests. Yes. That's a bit of a problem, son. The the White Prince doesn't want brilliant people like you working with him. He doesn't want people who can outthink him, outsmart him. You're not supposed to be better than the system, son. You're supposed to work within it, not against it, not for this. Look, you'll understand one day. But they don't want you, or they well, do don't want you. Why don't you guys you f- come with me? Why don't we all leave together? Dad shakes his head. There's not enough room on the ships for us, and if we left, we left with you. They would come looking for us, son, and they know our faces. They, they know our friends. You know the clerics, the seekers. They were poor with people. Learn everything about them. If we go with you, they'll be able to find us. But don't worry. We still have your your siblings. We won't be alone. And Uncle Tommen is a good man. He will show you the world. He will he'll take you on a ship. He'll teach you his ways. And maybe one day we'll come and visit you wherever you end up. 
No Realm will nod. Uh, take, <clears throat> take this bag of coins, son, and stay away from the guards. The the, the low, lesser inquisitors on the docks, they don't work at night. No one's allowed to board ships at night or disembark. Cargo's not allowed to go on or off. That's why you have to be careful and quiet. Get to the third dock. Don't let the watchman see you. Give this money to Uncle Tommen on the third dock, and he'll take you away from here. Um, by now, your mom's finished packing your bag and thrusts it into your arms. They both give you a hug and a kiss. Your other siblings have already gone off to bed right now. They're unaware of what's happening. Your parents say they'll inform your siblings tomorrow. Um, and with a few hugs and a pat on the back, they send you out the front door to go find the third dock, to slip past the guards, to meet up with Uncle Tommen, and, and to leave the Dardens forever. Um, you can get to the docks without any problem, but there are night watchmen out. So how is little 12-year-old uh, Nirim? Nirim. Nilrim. Nilrim. How is little 12-year-old Nilrim, who doesn't have any spells yet, going to get past the dock guards? Um, is there like a sewage drain or something that Absolutely. goes to the docks? Yeah, you'd mm -hmm. probably go through there. Um, mm. Probably nobody wants to be near there, and he wants mm -hmm. to see if they're safe. So... A river comes right through the middle of town and then dumps out in the middle of the harbor. Mm -hmm. And the town has built a whole sewer system with pipes that all lead into this river to get rid of all their waste. The whole town is like built up a little bit of, you know, maybe 20 feet above the, the river line at the back end of town and, you know, down to the river line at the front end of town. So you can find one of these storm drains that eventually deposits itself in the sewer. Um, and follow that. Get yourself covered in just like the dirt and grime of the city that gets washed down these storm drains. You know, people's night soil that they toss out the window that then gets rained on and swept into the water. It's gross. It's disgusting. But it's safe. True. Wow. You make your way down one of these storm drains and into the river. But the current, my friend, the current is rough. The current is strong. And you find yourself getting swept down the center of this channel. Um, I'm going to need you to make me a strength check to make it to the side before you get swept too far away. Before you get... That's the dump set. Uh-oh. Well, you're also 12, so it may... Oh my god, you did it. You did it. Um, you okay. can hold on to the sides despite the strength of the current. You get swept out to the dock, but hold on to various bits of wood, various bits of like cracks in the, the what do you call it, the canal's walls, and can slowly make your way um, between the, sh the ships, between the pillars, between the posts, and make your way to the third dock. Now, you are a brilliant child with 18 intelligence, and you know exactly where this dock is. Um, and as you find the third dock, you can see a guardsman, night watchman, walking along it above you, uh, perusing all over the place. Now, you're in the water, and he hasn't spotted you yet, um, but there is a, uh, a guardsman on the pier you are looking to be on. 
Um, I mean, Uncle Tommen knows that I'm coming, so I assume that he has a plan for the Night Watchman that's on mm -hmm. his pier. Mm -hmm. um, so Nilrem will just wait a little bit, see if anything happens. Um, he would mm -hmm. assume that others have put in place this plan. You wait. The guardsman keeps an eye out for a little while, heads down the dock, starts going up pier number four, which is right next to you, spends 20 minutes there, walks down, heads up pier number seven on the other side of the river exit, and you can make your way over to uh, a ladder and pull yourself up onto the dock. This is where I will ask you for a dex check to see how quickly and nimbly you can react. Yes, very good. Uh, you pull yourself up onto the uh, up the ladder. As you pop your head over, you can see a second guardsman appears and duck down just in time for them to walk away. Climb back up, scamper down the dock, and find your Uncle Tommen, who's not really like a blood relative. This is like the close family friend, uncle sort of guy. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, he's here sitting on his boat, um, looking up at the perpetual storm overhead, watching the lights flash in the clouds as bolts of thunder ripple in the distance. Um, and you can go across the gangplank and onto his boat. He will take the I'll money from the him. sack of money into his chest. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my parents said you'd take me far away from here. He nods his head. Is it a... Is it necessary? They said it was, and I'll nod. Okay. Well, they told me earlier today that they might have need of me. But if you're here now, I guess away we go, then. He looks at you. 12-year-old kid. Brilliant! Drenched in shit. But drenched in shit, completely soaking wet, and really not his responsibility. He will take the overstuffed bag of wealth, put you on his boat, and uh, tell you to wait here. Let's you know that it's going to take about a month to get out of the Dardens. He's going to have to make a couple of stops along the way. Uh, and then they're going to leave and head east, head west, head as far west as they can. Uh, but until that time, you're going to need to stay in this boat. And it's not a big boat. It's a small boat. You know, it's got the top deck and then one underneath it. It's mostly powered by wind, but there are some rooms for some oars. And um, he tells you to stay put, stay quiet, don't alert anyone to your presence, and just hide for like a month. Jesus. Which is something you can do. You're a 12-year-old kid. You're small. You don't need yeah. a lot of space. This one layer of the, the deck is enough that you can probably hide. We're going to ask for one more check from you. This time, it's going to be a con check. Uh, because one of these days, you are... You're in a town. The boat is docked. Uh, and you have a coughing fit. You know, all this time in in between decks here, it's dark. It's damp. Uh, it gets like, you know, it's humid. It's a perfect condition for disease to thrive, and you're stuck in this shitty place with no direct sunlight, no fresh air for a month on end. And you can hear an argument on the deck above you. One of the local guards at whatever place you happen to be docked, you don't even know where you are right now, 
wants to come and inspect all the cargo on the ship. And your Uncle Tommen, who you have picked up by now, is involved in some smuggling. He keeps coming down and opening like a hatch and pulling out some things wrapped in cloth that are hidden away from the rest of the crew and pulling them off the ship in the middle of the night or returning them in the middle of the night. I would have looked at one point. Uh, mm-hmm. what, would it, what, what is he smuggling? Do I know? Um, you will see what appears to be various cut um, either glass or gemstones. If it's gemstones, it's a shit ton of money. If it's glass, it's like counterfeit gemstones that you hope to unload and then leave immediately before people realize what's happened. Um, it's one of those two. Anyway, there's some arguing up on the top deck, and your Uncle Tommen is saying, we haven't unloaded any cargo, we haven't brought in any, on, in any cargo. As long as we're just sitting on the dock, we don't. you don't need to see anything, right? We, You only need to inspect stuff that gets loaded and unloaded. We're just here stopping off for supplies. There's nothing on my ship. We've already been through a checkpoint just yesterday. Uh, and you can hear the guards sort of like, oh, I've got stuff to do, there's other things, and your coughing fit starts coming up. But with a successful 21 on your con check, um, you can hold in the, the noise, the sneezing, the coughing, the, the fit that racks your lungs, and you guys can escape undetected. Um, and after that incident, you will set out to the seas, where your Uncle Tommen will pull you out and introduce you to his crew the people on his ship yeah you know it's like three and a half weeks three weeks something like that roughly a month um and he will introduce you to everyone gesturing and saying everyone this is my nephew nilrem nilrem say hi to the crew he's gonna be living with us for a while and uh we're going to train him to be a sailor and to be a part of our part of our crew uh the people around you are kind of a bunch of scuzzy folks most of them haven't shaved in a month their hair is all over the place one of them's missing a hand one of them's missing a foot you know it's just like a peg ankle if you would you know just at the very bottom of the foot has been chopped off one guy's missing a couple of fingers none of them look like they are particularly law-abiding citizens um and they all kind of give you a suspicious look, the new kid on the ship. And they set you to work. Um, and we're going to take our first short break right here now that you have left the Dardens. And when we come back, we're going to see what it was like for you with these people, um, specifically after a few years with them when you decide to depart and study magic. So we will be back on the other side with a little bit more Tides of Death. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tides of Death. So, Nilrim, we're going to meet up with you a few years later. Um, If this happened when you're 12 and the campaign starts when you're 19, uh, that's like nine years there, right? 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. It's, you know, seven or eight years, depending on exactly birthday markings. When? Yeah. Yeah. So, how many years do you spend on the ship with Uncle Tommen, and how many years do you spend um, with your master learning the ways of magic in a town? Well, I'm only a first level wizard, mm-hmm. and by that I'm like first and a half. <clears throat> so how long do you think it takes a wizard with a master to achieve that? Like two, three years? Or Yeah, probably about two, two and a half, three. You're, you're pretty brilliant, so for you, you might even be only like one and a half or two years. 
let's just do like seven years on the ship then and then one year let's do six years on the ship and like two years with like a master like one and a half years with like a master great okay so you are with uncle tommen and his crew and it appears to you rather quickly that these guys will take jobs as they come most of some of them honest most of them honest, but there's always the job on the side where something needs to be moved without someone knowing, you know, maybe avoiding certain taxes. Maybe this thing was, uh, you know, some hot merchandise. Maybe this person wants to, like, arrive somewhere without anyone noticing. They're pretty happy to take on all sorts of odd jobs. Um, and they will teach you the ways of the sea. They will teach you um, seamanship. They'll teach you navigation. They'll teach you swimming. They'll teach you, uh, what other proficiencies do you have? Oh man, I have all the seaman proficiencies. Oh yeah. <laughs> swimming, give you... navigation, seamanship, boating, cartography. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe herbalism, but that's probably taught through the That's probably deck. comes from the, the wizard. Yeah, yeah, I think the literacy, archeology, span spellcraft, and herbalism come from your wizard buddy. Yeah. And the other ones come from these folks. So quickly, they will learn that you have an eye for map making, uh, a skill that no one on this ship has. Uh, maps are in this era are difficult to come by. Some people are professional map makers, but those people are few and far between. Most folks kind of do their own maps. Most sea captains will draw, you know, maps of the region that they think are important or make, you know, um, tide charts and uh, what are the what is it called where you like notify people where rocks and reefs are there's a term for that it might just be chart anyway they find that you are extremely useful in this capacity and rather than teaching you how to fight and how to you know be upfront and in combat because you're, you're a little kid when you join them they they focus on teaching you these skills um which of, the, of these skills is the one that nilrim finds the most interesting Probably uh, cartography. Well, yeah. So his like navigation and cartography, I think, go hand in hand. Um, he'd probably be in the downstairs, just like drawing like maps and stuff mm -hmm. of uh, certain regions that they go. Excellent. Um, <laughs> where is my dice? Hmm. Okay. <clears throat> um, one of the first things that or one of the last things that they teach you on your like 16th birthday or something is how to use a knife and you've had to use knives for all sorts of things but one of these guys on the ship um, is a knife specialist who is this knife specialist that teaches you how to use a dagger. Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you to name an NPC. It could be a man, oh, okay. it could be a woman, whoever you want. Who is the knife specialist? Uh, let's do uh, a lady named Cassie. She'd be like his like first mate, I guess, on the ship. And she's a knife specialist. First mate, yeah. Um, she sees that people have mostly been using you for cartography and navigation and that sort of stuff. And she'll pull you aside on your 15th birthday and press into your palm this beautiful, uh, if somewhat um, rustic, 
looking single-edged knife with like a nice thick backside to it, kind of like a, a smallish buoy knife looking thing. And she'll hand it to you and show you the this like pattern of practice where you you cut here, you cut here, you cut here, you cut here in like this hourglass figure and makes you practice it over and over and over again, as well as stabs and thrusts. Um, and tell me, how well do you take to this uh, knife play? It's your only um, weapon proficiency. So what? Yeah. How does I guess that? No one would find it like interesting that he's learning something. Uh... Mm -hmm. rough and tumble like the rest of them um he takes to it and he appreciates the gesture he just doesn't think that he's gonna need it okay all right so you can practice with it you get proficient with it get to the point where you can like stow it and draw it very quickly get to the point where you can throw it with some accuracy there's the you know the, the one mast on this ship and they'll set up a, a little target for people to practice with their their missile weapons um and you get decent with it you know not great but better than the average joe with a handling a knife um and yeah so you're here with these people for seven years tell Long me time. A, yeah tell me about the uh the first time you realized that Uncle Tommen was involved in, like, sketchy shit. Like, the first time that you realized that there was a lot of illegal activity happening on the boat. Probably uh, the first time was, as we saw, when he was refusing people coming on board um, to check it out. Mm -hmm. But he notices over time that that keeps happening. He thinks back to the glass, and um, he thinks to himself, well... If it was a bunch of rubies, we'd be incredibly rich, which we're not. So it's probably counterfeit glass that they are pawning off to people and then quickly leaving. Because every time that we leave this ship, we're leaving in a hurry. It's never mm -hmm. like a casual affair where we're waving goodbye. It is, hey, pack the bags. We got to go. Mm -hmm. Running to the ship. Mm -hmm. um, so that's probably how Nilrum figures out that, you know, it's a little bit seedier. And what but he's happy with it because there's like a freedom to it. Um, back oh, yeah. when he lived home, it was very structured. Um, being a servant, everything is on a clock. There's a routine to things. So this freedom uh, is something that Nilrim really enjoys. All right. Next one. And tell me about the first time your life was in danger on this ship. Because it's been in danger multiple times for certain. But what was the first time that you guys were in danger? Um, the first time that his life was probably in danger was when he tried to learn swimming. Um, he probably saw one of his other crewmen swimming and he just jumped in thinking it's just a skill that, you know, you can do. And he almost drowned. Um, but after that, he was taught it. So that was mm -hmm. like the first time his life was in danger. Hmm. Okay. So this first time that you row yourself in the ocean, just to sink or swim, you know, it looks pretty easy. Yeah. Um, and you begin... Maybe he didn't throw himself in. Uh, it was probably Uncle Tommen who wanted to teach him how to swim. And uh. Uncle Tommen was taught by you just toss him in the ocean. Mm -hmm. So Uncle Tommen threw uh, Nilrim in the ocean and just was like, all right, figure it out. But Nilrim did not have uh, the strength to do it very easily but 
All right. So the first time you get tossed in the ocean, you just sink. Uh, you struggle, you flail, but you don't know what you're doing, and you begin to just drop beneath the waves, beneath the sea. Um, I'm going to ask you to make me an intelligence check at, like, minus five. Uh, okay, so I'll just roll a d20 plus 15. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's not right. uh, d20 plus 13? 13. Oh, my God. This Very is perfect, good. actually, Mr. Moon. Um... As you sink beneath the sea and the sound of the waves and the wind begins to like vanish from overhead, um, a sort of calm settles over you for a moment. You can hear these like bubbles forming around you and you can see this vast school of fish darting underneath the boat. And through the panic of the moment and the clarity of your mind, Um, you manage to sort of loop the nearby bubbles that are rising from the sea floor into one sort of like centric bubble that you can hold in place that you manage to do through this like sheer um, force of will sort of like uh, this is this close to wild magic as you're going to end up getting here where the untrained young man manages to bind enough magic together in haste to create an air bubble out of the smaller air bubbles around you and hold it over your head. Um, By all rights, you should have drowned. Uh, You end up under the water for about two and a half minutes before someone manages to come down and find you and pull you back to the surface. And in those two and a half minutes, you survive through manipulation of the air and water around you. What does the person who comes down to get me see? You see a kid sitting down there with an air bubble over his head? Um, they, you, while you're down here with your air bubble looking around, you can see there are a couple of people on the surface, like 60 feet above you, swimming about. And you can see people diving off of the ship a few times, but you down here, like you're in the darker part of the waters, you can see up and yeah. see them pretty easily, but they're having trouble finding you. So you'll watch them like jump off the boat and swim around looking for looking, you. Yeah. And then finally, someone, uh, what was her name? Cassie. will come down and find you Um, while you're down here under the water I want you to make me a perception check another natural natural 20 oh my god the rolls in this campaign my backstory rolls are just really good yeah there's no danger to you in your backstory whatsoever Uh, down here under the water did you find the source of these bubbles? Um, they're coming from underneath the sand that you find your, like where your feet are. And as you dig around in the sand here, you pull up a singular golden coin um, before Cassie comes up and grabs you by the collar and swims you to the surface. Uh, what do you do when you get to the surface holding on to this single golden coin? Uh, can I look at it? Can you tell me what the markings are? Yeah, um, it is a rounded coin. It has the face on it of some woman, some queen of some place. There are letters stamped around the edges, but at this point you're still illiterate and you, you wouldn't know what they say. Um, you've seen coins like this. They come from a land called Arcadia. 
that you have visited before and are revisiting again. You've traveled between Arcadia and Solemn, and you've visited a couple of the outer islands in the Dardens, um, and so you would recognize this money as Arcadian gold. And gold is a lot uh, yeah. to us. Yes, gold is a lot, especially because the just in terms of like volume of cash, gold is rare. Uh, yeah, it is. You know, it's worth ten times as much as silver, and there is one tenth as much gold around as silver. So most money and most transactions are accounted for in silver because that's just literally the most common type of cash. Since we've been a pirate for a long time, I assume that um, I would be more worried about getting the score um, rather than almost dying, I guess. So mm -hmm. uh, I would come out uh, unscathed, I guess, and um, I'd press the gold coin into her hand and I'd say, like, uh, Jexel, praise, praise Jexel. Uh, there seems to be something down there with gold. Uh, I found this under my feet from where I was. Ah, you share the wealth with your crew. Yeah. And I the information with your crew. Okay. I would press upon them that there's probably more. Well, the party spends the rest of the day searching that area, taking turns diving down to those depths, which are a little bit hard for your crew to get to, um, and searching around there, they inevitably open up or find a sack of coins that must have fallen off of a ship somewhere. It contains 60 pieces of gold, an epic haul for this crew out of the middle of nowhere. Um, but the source of bubbles at the sea floor isn't really understood. Um, they don't know where the bubbles are coming from, but they're there. They can't dig down far enough to find it. Um, does Nilrim have any ideas about how to handle the questionable bubbles that saved your life and marked the treasure? Uh, can I do an in check for it? I don't have any, I don't think I have any ideas offhand. Um... I would assume maybe there is a chest down there or something that's like feeding off air bubbles. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, go ahead. I Give me an int check. 26. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there's got to be something, right? <clears throat> so you concoct a simple... Yeah, effective strategy to give people a second breath of air because it takes a lot of holding your breath to swim down that far and then mm -hmm. you have to hold it to go back up so if people can get one good breath of air down there then uh you know they might be able to search a little bit longer so you devise a i guess a solution whereby you breathe into a, a water skin and then cork it and swim it down with you and then when you get there you can like uncork it and get one yeah, one gulp of already half-breathed air, uh, which will allow people to stay down just long enough <clears throat> for them to pull up a ring, a magic ring, which uh, gets brought to the surface. Quickly, this is investigated between the crew. It's clearly yeah. magical. It's been underwater for a long time, and yet it's not tarnished. It's not damaged. It's not rusted in any way, shape, or form. And the sapphire Steam. in the middle of it is just... Give it, the way it catches the light is just unnatural. Um, this turns out to be a ring of water breathing that your Uncle Tommen will take for himself. Itch. Yeah, how do you feel about that? You more or less are the one who uh, discovered it and found it and everything, but Uncle Tommen, captain of the ship, says this is his one piece of treasure that he's going to take and divides the gold among the rest of the crew. 
he was good enough to save my life. Uh, you know, I'm sure that he loves me, so maybe he'll give it to me as a going away president when we hit the the shore running. But um, I'm cool with Uncle Tom and having this. It's not my place okay. to take the captain's treasure. Okay. Well, after the ring gets found and the gold gets split up and everyone celebrates for the night, opening the casks of rum around, the question comes up, uh, how did you not drown? And the sort of drunken crew will all lean in and be like, yeah, Nilrum. How the hell did you end up surviving? Most people, when they're underwater for that long, uh, don't come back up in one piece, if you know what I'm saying. How'd you do it? I'm not really sure. I was able to somehow manipulate the bubbles, and <laughs> it might sound funny, but I was able to make an air pocket. Some people give you sidelong glances. Most of them laugh it off. But your Uncle Tommen takes it quietly. Real quietly. And later that night, after everyone else has gone to bed, he comes up to you and says, When your parents told me they might need me to take you away, it's because they feared the White Prince's men would come for you and draw you into their arcane circles or their divine circles, whatever the hell. Your parents thought that you might be, uh, what's the word they use for it? Gifted? Talented? They always said I was smarter than the others. I... Well, I think... I think you've got something going on with you. Do you feel a divine intervention? While you were down there? Did God step in and save your life? No. I did it myself. No God stepped in and helped me. It was more something I just did by my own right. Hmm. Well, look, kid. You've been an asset to this team ever since we brought you on board. And that ring and that gold that you found there, it's your finest moment yet. But if there's something going on, some sort of magic happening around here, it's probably best you, you figure out what that is for yourself. I think we should put you ashore in the next town. Uh, we'll be a... Uh, where is the next town for us? I think we're... The next place we're ending up in is Hillsborough. I think we're going to put you in town in Hillsborough. Get you situated with them. With those a tutor or, or I know they're dwarves. They're not the greatest of seamen, but there are a couple of good wizards in Hillsborough. There's a couple of good wizards in every major. Don't know anything. I've never seen a dwarf on the water. Well, you won't see a dwarf as a wizard either. <clears throat> but listen, son, if you've got the ability to cast spells to bind water to make you breathe, that is something this ship could use. And I think we should take the time to put you on shore. And get you, get you an education, get you learned. Not everyone has the options that you're going to have in life. It would be a shame to, to waste them. But it's got to be it's voluntary. The this ship for the crew. I'll do anything. Well, everyone on the ship is here by volunteer. We'd love to have a wizard on our with our ranks. Granted, it takes a while to learn, and I don't know if this whole crew's even going to be alive by the time you're done learning. So it's got to come from you. 
You know, individual freedom is a choice that you've got to make. It's something uh, my dad always told me. It was figuring things out for yourself is the only real freedom anyone has. So you've got to decide for yourself. Do you want to stay here on this ship making maps, being a, a sailor and a treasure hunter with us? Or you want to head to the mainland for a while, learn the ways of magic, refine your skills? Well, I did like what I just did, so if I can become a wizard, I think that would be uh, my choice. I'll leave my uh, my maps with you. And you well, guys well I mean, those are property of the of ship. Of course oh. you're leaving them with me, he says, chiding you a little bit. Yes. <laughs> okay. I don't know if a wizard is just going to pick me up. Maybe we would have to give them some sort of payment, and I'll point to his ring. Oh. Uh, I'm sure you'll find a solution he says, putting his hand on the ring and spinning it over his finger a few times. Pretty happy with this uh, newfound, his only magical item. Couldn't be uh, giving up any treasure for that. Don't worry, we won't leave you unless there's uh, someone that you can stay with. We'll put you in tomorrow. And um, that'll be that night. The next day, you will arrive in Hillsborough. This place doesn't have such ridiculous loading and unloading laws. There are watchmen at all times of night, so you can unload first thing in the morning. Have ever been um, taught to pick a pocket? Probably, at this point. Probably not um, good at it. Yeah, you're not great at it, but you understand what you're supposed to try and do. Are you going to try and yeah. steal have the I... ring? <laughs> you know I am, Koibu. You know I am. Um... So I guess what I'm going to try and do is, <clears throat> I'm not going to do it yet, but if we ever do a handshake, like, you know, like, I'll see you around, mm -hmm. I'm going to, like, try and, like, palm my finger around his index and, like, take it as I go, as I, like, mm -hmm. finish the handshake and uh, do it slightly. You can't just, he'll respect it. Even if it fails, he'll respect it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well... You're not a rogue. You're not a thief. You're not trained oh. in this. I'll give you a 10% chance of um, of it working successfully. Go on high or low? You want low. 1 to 10. Can I do a D100? Yeah. Okay. No. Sorry. Um, but it's also not so bad that he notices the attempt. You just put your hand Good. and you try and pull it off and it just like gets caught on the knuckle a little bit and any more, you know, attempting would be too obvious. So you've got to just like let it slide. Just let it go. Yeah. Yeah, you make the effort. It doesn't quite work. Um, the crew says goodbye to you. You shake everyone's hands. Um, Cassie I assume will... that I found a wizard? Uh, not yet. Okay. Not yet. Cassie hands you a, one of her knives, that one that she's been training you with, which has technically been hers, but she presses it into your hands and says, keep this with you, little boy. One day you may need to gut someone to get out of a situation. Remember... You can't trust anyone except the people you shed your blood for. And uh, I'll give her a hug and a thank you. And uh, yeah, knife is D three. Knife is D three. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, they're gonna be in town for three days. They hope you can find a spellcaster by then. And if not, they'll try and help you out. But the expectation is that in three days you should be able to find someone. So how do you go about 
in this strange town. You've probably been to the docks here a few times, but never really traveled around the town itself. Um, how do you go about finding a, a, a master to apprentice under? Easy. Is there a tower? Any towers? <laughs> yes. Yes, there are some towers in town. Okay. He's just going to go to the towers. It's where you'd assume a wizard would be in their mm -hmm. tower. So he'll go knock around, see if we can find a wizard tower. Um... Yeah, give me a, just give me a D20. High is good, low is bad. Perfect. Pretty low. Perfect. Um, you do find a wizard tower right away. And you arrive at the base of it. It stretches up six stories. There's a sign on the door that you can't read. There's a little garden out around. There's a couple of gnomes working in the garden. I'll ask the gnomes. <laughs> Hello, gnome. Hello, human. What uh, you doing? I'm hanging out about. Uh, looking for the wizard of these parts. The wizard is home. Just give a knock and bring on down the old dome. Thank you very much my little friend i'm gonna go see the wizard and fuck a hen so i go to the door and i they give it their heads knock. to the side when you say i'll fuck a hen <laughs> not really sure what what you're doing and um oh. just trying to rhyme not mm -hmm. very good at it mm -hmm. um the wizard will come on down when you give a knock they open the door and look down maybe straight over cross at you how tall are you you're 510 by five, 17 years old you're probably full grown-ish so the wizard looks you know, at you flatly. It is a, a gentleman, human, about 45, maybe 50 years of age, um, thinning hair on top, kind of long and wispy coming down to the mid back, kind of unkempt, like a, like some sort of mad nerd who has no concept of how to dress themselves or groom themselves and is just happy to be looking a bit weird. Their clothes are kind of stained. There's like grease marks on them, cat hair covering them, a couple of like little small feathers on a shoulder. The wizard looks at you and goes, Yes, what can I do for you today? Uh, I I was sent here uh, to, to study. My uncle said that I'm probably uh, cut out for this. Ah, gifted one, are you? Excellent. And did your uncle send you with uh, tuition? No, actually, we're, uh, we're sailors. I see. We don't have uh, we don't have much. What does tuition cost? Five hundred gold a month. I'll scratch his head. Um, well, uh, how many months do you think it'll take me to become a wizard? Well, if you are very very capable, maybe three years. If you are incapable, never. You're a brilliant genius. Somehow smarter than me, which you're definitely not. Maybe a year and a half. I'll not, uh, I guess I'll do it in one then. All right, mm -hmm. I'll go get your tuition and I'll be back uh, by tomorrow. It might not be gold. Uh, but it'll, I think it'll be enough. Mm-hmm. Well, let me see you with that gold then. Uh, good day. I'll prance off. Wizard shuts the door. How are you going to make I'll, a shit ton of gold? 
going to ask my uncle for the magic ring. You know, he wants me to do this. It's going to be rough for him. He's going to have to give up his magic item. But if he wants mm-hmm. a wizard on the ship, then he's got to put up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I'll go head, talk to him. Yeah, you head right back down to the docks. Uh, only to see your uncle's ship receding on the horizon uh, and a flurry of activity down on the docks. It appears there are three dead bodies and the guard has been called out and the docks have been cleared. I look at the bodies. Uh, One of the bodies is Cassie, the first mate on the ship. The other two are guardsmen. I mean, I would run down there. Yeah, you run down. Uh, you can get right up against the edge of the crowd that is being like pushed back by soldiers as the harbor master examines the corpse. Well, the where's the ship at? The ship, uh, your your uncle's ship, you can see its sails maybe a mile out to sea, dis- oh, uh, you I... know, receding in the distance. Can I? Do I think I can swim it? Mm-mm. They're no already a mile out to sea, and they're, oh, like, leaving. They're not, like, bobbing in the ocean. They're, like, taking off. Um, What, do you th- what, what is going on here? What is uh, Nilrum's concepts of what has happened in his absence? Either Cassie and him had a fight, which I think is... What I think that's probably a pretty low chance. Because mm-hmm. everybody can leave and come on this ship as they want, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Totally. Uh, I'm guessing that they asked to search the ship then, or Cassie tried to steal his ring. Um, mm. Yeah. I guess I'll go over the body. I would be concerned about Cassie. Uh, see if she's still kicking. Uh, yeah, you can get kind of close to it, but there, the area has been slightly cleared by mm. soldiers as the harbor master and a couple of folks investigate the the, the dead. I'd probably be frantic because it's been seven years that I've been with these people. I probably care about her a lot. She taught me the knife stuff. Um, I would impress upon them that this was a friend. Um, I yeah. know her. And yeah, if you if you know her. one of the yeah. dead, the harbor master will pull you over immediately and say, "Who who is this woman? You know her? That's Cassie. Yeah, she was uh, she was on our ship. She was a sailor with us. I see. Guards, arrest this pirate. Um." He immediately says, and two of the nearby guards quickly go to seize you. Uh, I and... would pull my dagger. <laughs> okay. I guess. Roll. I would like pull the dagger out and like hold it, and I would be confused, and I guess I would probably... Yeah, roll me initiative against these two guards who try to apprehend you. They get a four and a seven on their initiative. Lower is better. You get a seven. So one of the guards pounces on you before you can pull your dagger, and he's going to try to just, like, knock you to the ground and pin you down. Um, So give me an opposed strength check. Strength is not my strong suit. It's not the worst, though. Not good enough. Yeah. The guard grabs hold of your arms before you can get to your dagger, and as you guys struggle, the other guard will come up and pull the dagger from you. You can see the harbor master crossing his arms and beginning to launch into a monologue about the dangers of piracy and how we have to make an example of every pirate, no matter how young they are. Uh, when that same wizard whose tower you visited pushes through the crowd and calls out in a clear voice, Unhand my apprentice! And they stop a little bit and the harbor master looks over 
Um, what is the name of your wizard? Uh, you can name him now. Uh, Merlin. Merlin. Yeah, that's fine. Master Merlin, do you know this boy? And Master Merlin says, absolutely. He is my new apprentice. He just arrived at my doorstep today. We're just waiting to sign the apprenticeship documents, he says, looking at you pointedly. Isn't that right, my boy? I nod. Yeah, that's right. So you see, if he knows this woman, it is only because he arrived here today. He is not a pirate, nor has he ever been. The harbor master looks to you and says, Is that true, son? Never been a pirate. And that dagger. Are you about to gut me with it? Do I look like I could gut you with a dagger? Yeah, they, they accept it. They release you into the care of Merlin, who will uh, grab you by the ear more for show you know, to kind of make it look like you guys are having an existing relationship and pull you through the crowd. Uh, and once you get out of the crowd, he continues to pull you by your ear, uh, which is painful and discomforting all the way back to his tower where he will sit you down and put a pile of papers in front of you and say, sign this, and then you can be my apprentice. If you don't sign it, then I will hand you back over to the harbor master and they will hang you for piracy. I'm not stupid. I'd sign it. He'll take off the one thing he has, which is his emerald ring. Um, he'll recant the story of the wild magic that he mm -hmm. happened upon. Um, the ring that he was going to get from his uncle, uh, who they were. He'll put the emerald ring down, explain that that was his parents' ring, and um, hope that that's enough for his tuition. And he promises he'll do it in a year. The wizard looks at it and goes, this will not cover tuition, but that is what these are for. He taps the pile of apprenticeship documents. Uh, these documents give us a unreasonable trade. I get 15 years of apprenticeship from you in exchange for me teaching you magic. I figure 15 years of service is enough to pay me back for the spell book I will have to bind for you, the reagents I will have to acquire for you, the time and energy I will put into you. Yes, yes, I think this is a fair deal. And now that you have signed these documents, they are legally binding welcome home he says with a not quite sinister but like a greedy I've pulled one over on him look in his eyes yeah and uh, we'll take our second break right here we'll come back for our third act which is when you leave this wizard um, spoilers it's less than 15 years yeah yeah we'll see you guys on the other side of a break Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tides of Death. So we're going to skip ahead a few more years here. <clears throat> you are learning with Master Merlin um, in his tower over in Hillsborough. Um, Master Merlin is a very strict instructor, uh, which is has its uh, pros and cons, you know? He's great at teaching you things, and he makes you practice, practice, practice until you get a concept, and you learn rather quickly, but he's also exacting in all of his details. Um, he makes a point of the expenses 
of uh, having an apprentice around. Not just the time, but the resources. He buys you a spell book, and a spell book is hugely expensive. It's like a thousand GP for a spell book. Um, and so this spell book that you practice, or not practice, that you write your, your notes down in, he holds behind a locked door um, with the 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 verbal warning he gives you one time that he doesn't want you to like take your spell book and run away and leave him high and dry you you have been bound to me for 15 years of service and i'm gonna get my 15 years out of you so your spell book will stay behind my locked doors until such time as your debts have been repaid how does nilrim feel about that uh nilrim has never liked being bound he really liked his freedom on the sea um he remembers back to being in the servant class not fondly um he loved the freedom of the sea and he probably wants to go back to that after he learns after he feels like he garners enough knowledge of like how to be a wizard that he can continue doing it himself mm. so he's using this as like a means to an end um he originally signed the contract because he assumed that he wasn't trying to like fuck him mm -hmm. but once he realizes that he's you know, kind of got him by the balls. Mm -hmm. uh, he has no qualms with doing what he can to get out once he's garnered the info he wants. Got it. Well, your years here will go by fairly quickly. Um, the first thing that he has to do is teach you how to read because you can't be a wizard. You can't cast spells. You can't even study spells until you learn how to read. Um, and that is something I believe that you will pick up quite quickly with your 18 intelligence. So why don't you give me a series of intelligence checks until you pass, which is the very first one. So... Um, you know, within the first few days of studying, you are able to quickly start sounding out the whole alphabet. You start putting together small words. Within the first month, you're able to read passages. And by the end of the first three months, you are working at like, you know, a sixth grade reading level or something, um, which quickly and rapidly builds on itself. Um, give me a charisma check at the same time. Yeah, you can see the pride in Merlin's eyes as he takes this illiterate pirate scum off the streets and like saves him from a beheading and teaches him to read and how quickly he picks him up. This means that Merlin is the greatest instructor of all. If he can take some nobody off the streets and get them to read within six, within a few months, Merlin has got to be the greatest teacher of all. He goes and shows you off to his other, um, not quite wizard buddies, but his other friends he takes you to the wizarding store where they have like um the components and the reagents and the inks and the papers and he like has you look at things and you can overhear him you know praising himself for your instruction um merlin this whole time nilrim is like uh he's happy that he he knows that he can learn quickly he's happy with himself and um he sees i would assume that merlin is uh thinking it's all him, but mm -hmm. Nilrim knows it's actually all me, and um, I'm just biding my time with this stupid wizard until I can get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'll play his games until I'm ready to stop. He teaches you literacy right away. 
And at the same time, uh, part of the teaching of you of literacy is the reading of the histories of the mages of the world. He bring he's got all these tomes that have like this was Drexel the bloodthirsty. He helped Malchus in the war of creation. And you know, it'll, he'll, you'll read all these passages about Drexel the Bloodthirsty, and then you'll read these passages about <clears throat> um, Falstaff, the Sorcerer of Light, who helped unite uh, Akuba under this rule and created this tracking system for um, mages to be ordered to like, find a wizard anywhere in the world. Uh, Merlin teaches you the importance of a person's true name, how the name that someone is given at birth is somehow bound to them in a way that allows someone who knows that name to uh, potentially find them with the right spells with the right knowledge a person's first name is key and important and it is for that reason that many wizards often take um, pseudonyms and hide their original name he teaches you the importance of blood and how it functions very similarly to a person's name and that it can be used to pinpoint an individual and that a wizard had best make sure no one, no other person um, is able to get a sample of their blood or pull hairs from their head. Keep all of your body parts to yourself. Um, and he teaches you his specialization. Merlin is a dimensionalist. There are not many of them around. Uh, Merlin is the only dimensionalist of note in Arcadia, he claims. Um, and he will teach you his secrets and his spells. He'll show you things like Rope Trick, where he creates extra-dimensional space that you can crawl up into and he'll have you explore it. He will show you how an enlarged spell works and it's reverse, reduce, and uh, you know shift your size until you basically double in space and then like shrink back down and he'll shrink you down to like 10% of your actual size and allow you to like creep under doors and show you how you know the shape changing works. Um, and he will show you the ways of various herbs and poultices. How Apparently it's still lagging, or it started lagging Ooh. a little bit. Okay, let me adjust. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Um, let me change this setting over here.
uh hello everybody welcome back to dad's death hope that we are not having any more lag problems um so where we left off you were learning these skills what was the what's the highest spell that he can cast Ooh, the highest level spell that merlin can cast yeah i was just curious how good he is yeah um hmm let's see you will have seen Merlin uh, cast Polymorph Self. You have seen him uh, turn himself into a sparrow and take off from his windowsill one time. Interesting. Yes. Um, I think that's probably your best indication of, of Merlin's power level. Yeah. yeah. Okay. During this time that you were reading through these histories of long lost mages and in the depth of your studies, maybe nine months in, um, you will come across an entry about a fountain of youth, an ancient magical artifact said to be created in the first days of the world that seems to move, although it's far too large to ever be moved, and the magical nature of it does seem to prevent its mobility, it does seem to crop up in different places. It's theorized that there is just one fountain of youth that somehow manages to change locations. Um, and this, I believe, is what draws Nilrim's attention the most. Tell us about um, your readings of this fountain of youth. Yeah, so um, back to the ship, after they got all the treasure and stuff, Nilrim would have went back to his room and probably had some sort of true, like, fear come but later about his uh, situation where he almost died. He, doesn't, he didn't realize until later at how close he was to actually dying, probably hearing his sailor friends talk about how they've never seen anyone get out of that, uh, sent him on, like, a wave of, like, really bad fear. Um, so Nilrim is very intrigued when he learns about the Fountain of Youth, which will, um, prevent him from aging and dying that way. So, uh, Nilrim would pour through this book and see if he can find any more stuff about it. Yeah. Um, you find a few entries on it how some of these early, early people during the Age of Mist must have found the Fountain of Youth because the histories of the wizards during the Age of Mist make it seem like they were around for hundreds of years despite being human. Um, during the first uh, real age, the Age of Heroes, when things first started getting written down, it's clear that some of these heroes that founded this age, that brought people into written histories into structured um, empires into towns and cities that will persist instead of just being like taken over quickly quick by new forces over and over again um some of these heroes end up living for like 500 years during the age of heroes uh, and then it's somewhere during the age of empires that the legends of the fountain of youth begin to dwindle the beginning of the Age of Empires, there it's mentioned a couple of times. And then, you know, after 200 years, all references of it vanish, or all, like, first-person sightings vanish. There are other people writing about it, you know? You have some text written by some wizard near the end of the 
Age of Empires that I'm sorry, the um, Age of Might that tells you or that that um talks about the, these documents they found and sort of gives new fresh accounts, but it's all written from much later in date. Um, at this point in time, Merlin is still locking up your spellbook every night. You know, you can use it when you're in front of him and he'll guide you in your careful writings on it, reminding you that this book is hugely expensive. The paper is specially crafted and specially treated so as to be water resistant and fire resistant, you know, and he'll show you how you can submerge your spellbook in water and it'll come out fine as long as you air it out properly. But if you merge these papers, these other papers in water, even if you shake them out and air them out, they begin to warp and twist and get, uh, and get brittle and useless. Does Nilrim ever make scrolls? Nilrim... Or not Nilrim, sorry, Merlin. Um, you don't see Merlin crafting magical scrolls ever. You know he has a few on hand, but it's not a thing that he frequently uses. Um, it's possible that he's able to make them and he just does so in secret, or it might be something that's beyond him. Okay. If he's ever out for the day as like a sparrow... Um, mm -hmm. At this point, do I have to tech magic? Yes. If he's ever out for the day as a sparrow, I'm going to go around with the tech magic and see if I can find a scroll. What I'm going to be looking for is um, some way to get out with my spell book. Um, so if I smash the window and take the spell book, obviously he's going to know, right? But if I am able to, you know, plane shift or go to the ethereal plane and then run out that way and get on a boat. Um, I just need a, I'm looking for a way to be able to escape him. Well, yeah, so at this moment, in theory, you could just run away, but then you wouldn't have your spell components. You wouldn't have your spell book. The ability to recreate one would be like a hugely daunting task. You wouldn't have the ink or anything like that. You'd kind of just be yeah. fucked. Um, finding a way to get your spell books so that you can escape and still have your magic in tow some components and some inks would be nice and those are all like kept locked in together locked uh, is definitely the key so you look for something that will help you escape using your detect magic spell yeah so okay. mainly looking for he's a dimensionalist so mm -hmm. I would know a lot about um, I would probably learn about teleportation uh, plane shifting ethereal plane I'd learn about all these things. I know he can do it, so there's probably something around mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. he probably doesn't make for himself, but he might sell to the Baron, um, for example. So that's hmm. what I'd look around for. Yeah. Roll me um, a d6. Don't want higher low. I don't know yet. I just know what tables yeah, well. we're going to be looking at. And roll me a, a d20 on top of that. One nine. I can't. I cannot kill the wizard with a dagger. We cannot yeah, kill the wizard with a dagger. No. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, you will find with your detect magic spell a box in Merlin's bedroom 
um, tucked underneath his bed that is radiating a strong source of magic. It is a uh, wooden chest with like nice inch and a half thick oak uh, bound with large brass uh, you know, strips that go around it and the lid of it is also bound on the inside and out with brass and you know, heavily um, held together with these rivets all over it. This box is definitely too strong for you to break into. You'd need like you know, a chisel and a sledgehammer and a bunch of time to crack this sucker open. Uh, the type of magic? I got a 10% chance to get it. Which, if I don't know if you roll or I roll, but if I roll, I didn't get it. Um, 10% chance, huh? No, you don't get the school. Yeah. And it's locked. It's locked. Um... And I would need a chisel to chisel into it. You'd need like a chisel and a sledgehammer. It would yeah. be, you know, this chest is constructed to be nigh impossible to open. Uh, what happens if you... What happens if I take a, a lock, right? That's on a chest. It's probably mm-hmm. fits snugly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What happens if I reduce that lock? Would it crush the stuff around it that is like holding it in? Does that make sense? So if like the lock is like clasped to a thing, and I reduce the lock, uh, or I guess I enlarge the lock, it, will it break the stuff around it or no? It has the possibility to, but only if the stuff surrounding it is sort of weak already. Um, for a box like this, it's nice and sturdy. The enlarge or reduce spell will strain it for a moment and then the spell will fizzle. But if it was like a weakened box, you might be able to rip things open. Or if there was like a a, j- a door that was like inside some crumbling concrete, like the door might shrink enough to rip itself out of the concrete. Um, what if I magic missile the lock? Do I think that would work or no? Definitely not going to work. Yeah. Definitely not going to work. Okay. Yeah, 100%. Um, I guess then I will study because I'm going to be here for a while. Mm-hmm. I'll study where he. I'm going to try and find where he puts the key. Right. Um, and give me a perception check then. See how long it takes you to find where he puts the key. Well, you find it in the next month. Um, he wears 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 a ring of keys around his neck. It looks like there are four keys. Uh, one of them definitely goes to the front door of the tower. Um, the other three, you don't know what they do. It's possible, probable, you're confident, you're 100% sure he's got a secret room in this tower that you haven't seen in the year that I you've been no here. You know that it's here because sometimes he's gone and you're positive he's not in the tower and then you'll be like downstairs near the front door and then he'll be in the tower again and there's no way he would have come or gone and like he's already used his polymorph self for the day and you're pretty positive he wasn't flying away as a bird. Like there are times where his presence is just mysteriously there and gone. So you know there's a secret somewhere in the tower he's hiding from you. But that still leaves two keys that you don't know about. Um, One of them could very easily go to this box with one unknown, or who knows what. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I'll continue my studies and try and think of a way, I guess, to get this box open that radiates Mm -hmm. super big magic. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, would you make me a spellcraft proficiency check, please? 
Very good. Jesus Christ, dude. You're fucking killing it. Making today. the rolls. Yeah. Um. How was I doing a spell crush? I don't know. Oh, I had a thing that we were doing this for. Apparently, it's ah, lagging right. again. Just oh, a God, tiny bit. Is of it lag. doing? Sorry. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um. You will notice him with the spellcraft proficiency check one day. Uh, he creates a, a portal, a short instantaneous portal that makes him vanish from where he is. Um, you can overhear the words to this when he's a floor above you and they're sort of echoing down the staircase. He's saying them softly, like he's trying not to draw a lot of attention to himself, but in the stillness of the evening with just your pen scratching on the paper, you can hear the words and you know that this guy is um, like disappearing from this place and reappearing elsewhere, like vanishing completely from the, from this tower um, via a spell. Now you don't know the name of the spell because it's so far above your level and you're kind of new, but you gather that this is some sort of like portal opening spell and we're using portal loosely here it might be like a teleportation spell it might have be like a dimensional portal spell it's something very similar to the rope trick first level spell which you would be familiar with but don't quite know yet mm -hmm. um and you catch him doing this a few times and you realize when he does this he's usually gone for a couple of hours before he returns um and you can use this to your advantage. When you hear him casting that spell upstairs in his room, you know it gives you at least an hour to find, you know, to open either the the box, the 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 chest that contains your spell book and the ink and the components, or to, you know, investigate the rest of the tower. So what do you want to do when you real when you find these like windows of opportunity? Probably gonna investigate the rest of the tower first. Mm -hmm. um, my character is obviously going to look for something else to take with him. Um, he's probably not gonna ever find anything. But yeah, he he's curious in what Merlin's hiding from him. Um, he's curious why he doesn't have the freedom to traverse certain places of the tower. I'm sure that he wants to. Mm -hmm. um, so when Merlin's gone for that one hour, he's going to or yeah, Nilrim is going to look around, see if he can find anything. Okay. I need you to pass me both a perception check and an intelligence check. It should be easy. The perception's going to be a little bit harder. <sighs> off one by off. one. Okay. So you can't find it. Um, but with your reaching out, you can feel that on the ground floor, there is something here. You've been investigating this area. You've been paying attention to the signs of Merlin's activity. There's something on the ground floor that isn't what it appears to be or is hidden behind or inside of something else. Um, but you can't find it. It emanates quite a bit of magic, though. You're certain of it. Um, am I able to try the next time that I see him use it? If not, then... I will uh, see if I can read more about um, hidden 
yeah. types of magic. Give me an arcanology check to see if there's anything in the library here. Oh my God, another natural 20 that can investigate uh, a little bit more for you. And there certainly is. Uh, you read about Drexel the Bloodthirsty again. This is presumably the first lich in creation, a person who gave up their very own soul, their very own like life essence in order to extend their life in theory forever. In theory, they've been able to extend it without a fountain of youth. Um, but the cost, Nilrim, the cost of this is first described as their soul which doesn't really sound like that big of a deal. I mean, what does your soul even do for you, right? Yeah, he's like, I'm not using my soul right now. Like, it doesn't really matter, but yeah. Um, but then as you read more accounts of Drexel, these are usually like secondhand accounts, uh, you find that the person that he was before he became a lich had these like ideas, these plans, which are sort of being followed post-lichdom, but you can just like between the lines with that 20, with that 38 arcanology check, you can see how the motivations have shifted and how in giving up his soul, he's given it up to someone else, which means he's given up a certain amount of control over who he is to another person, a certain amount of his very essence of what the decisions he makes, of the ability to sort of do what he wants, has been sacrificed. Drexel the Bloodthirsty ended up with unlimited power, or near unlimited power. But in doing so, he lost his he core like freedoms. Yeah. yeah. Not even like a willing servant. It, by all appearances, Drexel still believed he had full control over who he was, but you can just see how it's been shifted. How, like, with the analogy of a person on a boat, the idea is that you're on a boat on, like, a still lake, and you can row in whatever direction you want, and you can take your course. Um, by becoming a lich, Drexel is still on a boat. He can row wherever he wants, but the currents are headed in a certain direction. And he can row against them, but he'll never really make progress. At best, he can just hold his ground, and then he can't go in any other direction. Uh, and I think it's through this that Nilrim understands that eternal life can come in a lot of different forms. Um, if you go the route of lichdom... You definitely give up agency and individuality and you bind yourself somehow to something else. You read about vampires and other undead who have extended lifespans, theory theoretically unlimited lifespans, but how they become the exact opposite of who they were in life. How all the things they once valued, they now hate and all the things that they once hated, they, I mean, they still hate, but in like a different sort of love hate way, you know? how they're forced to deal with their own horrors and their own sins and how they see themselves as like a terrible muted corrupted like aged being when other people see them as young and perfect and lifeless and how that is also a route that leads to suffering and just like horribleness um so that didn't get you any closer to the secrets of the tower, but it did inform you a little it bit gave more a lot of information on that eternal light. What he wants to become. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. okay. Um, um, which will bring us to our next plot point. 
um, about a year and a half after your apprenticeship began, you're doing your normal chores. You're going down to the ocean, uh, down to the, the, the dock market in order to pick up some supplies that uh, Merlin had ordered from a merchant, a, a group of pearls that are the right shape and the right size, the right perfectness for casting identify spells. And you've got the money. You make these runs all the time, like picking up stuff on behalf of your master. But while you're down here, there is a bard. A bard who has just gotten off of a ship from the Dardens. And he's telling this story. He's singing this song about a wild, untamed island within the Dardens, deep and jungly. And at the heart of the island, there is a fountain of youth, a fountain of eternal youth that the creatures on this island drink from. And the creatures here grow larger and larger because they never die. And an elephant might grow to be 10 tons, but an elephant that never dies grows to be 12 tons, 15 tons, 100 tons. About how on this island, huge, monstrous creatures, many stories tall, roam freely and unmolested on this uninhabited island within the Dardens. And it's a... So this is it the main island, or one of the main islands that I would take where you said it was like Hawaii, right? Right, it's, no, it's not, not one of these. This okay. is... Yeah, in the Dardens, there are, I think there's 60, 77 islands or something like that. Um, and some of them are uninhabited. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all of them have civilization on them. So this must be one of those uninhabited islands. If the story is even remotely true, yeah. and knowing bards, it might not be. But this guy claims to have seen it. He claims to have seen a short squat fountain with two levels. One down, you know, maybe a foot and a half off the ground made of this gray stone overgrown with thick vines with broad leaves on them. And then a second slightly higher bit, maybe uh, three and a half feet off the ground with its own little bath up there that the water flows out of and comes back down. And how this fountain is powered was beyond the bard who witnessed it. It was just... in the middle of nowhere, flowing up, spilling over, and the wildlife around it was thick and heavy, and that's when the giant lizard came, and the bard and his party had to run and flee back to their ships to escape the island before the giant lizards caught them. Um, I've read a lot about the Fountain of Youth at this point, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, Were there any descriptions of it? Does this seem to, like, at all match what I had read? Yes. Okay, so my Um, interest would definitely be peaked then. Especially the details he gives about the two-level effect going on where you've got this large maybe like four foot pool at the bottom that's like a foot off the ground and then the second maybe two and a half foot pool that's like three feet off the ground Um, that's a very specific description which comes up over and over and over again and the cracked gray stone that looks like it's a thousand or a million years old always shows up again and again in all of your historical records and but you know you also hear songs or tales occasionally of people talking about a fountain of youth and in most of the like generalized stories the fountain comes in many different shapes and forms you know sometimes it's a basin sometimes it's like an actual just a pool in the ground that has water shooting out of it you know but this description matches the old texts that you've seen the old texts that you've read once he's done with this song i will uh pearls in hand or in my bag i guess and money mm-hmm. on me i'll walk over to him and uh inquire about it um do you happen to have a map of where you visited in the dardan did you have a navigator on the ship ah uh, 
I had no map, and the clouds overhead swarmed and swirled. I could never tell where we were. Did we face north? Were we facing south? These details are lost to me. I'm not a man of the sea. You see, I'm a man of the song. Oh, there were so many islands of the Dardens. It's a strange place. Mystical Maelstrom. Have I ever told you? And he, like, tries to pitch you another song that he'll play if you'll just tip him a silver. I would... I wouldn't listen. Yeah, yeah. So you say it was in the Dardens. You're sure of it? Positive. I'll remember that giant lizard for the rest of my life. Uh, I know at, my character at this point knows that he's going to leave because he knows where his goal is. So he'll mm-hmm. toss him a gold. Um, one of Merlin's gold pieces. He'll flick him it. The bard will give you a double flourish, taking his hat off with a deep bow. Thank you, and uh, you know, turn to the next customer who wishes to speak with him um, and lose his attention. Um, I will start making preparations. So whether that be... Uh, probably it would be, at this point, going, finding uh, probably Nick's character, talking about, hey, I want to leave, da 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 We can skip over that, because... Nick's not here, mm-hmm. um, but he will eventually make his way back to the tower and um, wait for, I guess, Merlin to leave, and he's going to crack open, get his spell book, and he's going to try and open that chest um, okay. with the chisel. Um, so, why don't you give me a strength check? Uh, can I be assisted if I use, like, a big hammer or tool to like break open something the big yeah. hammer or tool is the only thing that's going to be allowing you to make a strength okay. check to do this yeah so you're not going to be able to break into the chest that has the unknown magic item but give me another one for breaking into the box that contains your stuff that one hits. there you go one day when merlin is out as a sparrow doing whatever he does as a sparrow uh, you manage to drag out his chest from underneath his bed, not quite crack it open. The metal gets all twisted. The wood is incredibly sturdy. And you like see the gnomes out the window, like all of a sudden like alert on this pounding coming from within. So you quickly abandon that project, crack open this box containing your components, grab them, flee the city. And I think you head to the next town over to Redport. I guess that's two towns over because looking for a boat to leave here in Hillsborough. Well, I guess before your wizard's I main home. The house. Can I mm-hmm. try and? It's a big tower, right? Yeah, six stories. Okay, I'm gonna go take his chest to the top story, and I'm just gonna throw it off, um, and then run out <laughs> and see if I can open it or see if it'll be cracked open. Um. Yeah. Give me a saving throw versus crushing blow for a. Th- Thick wood uh, crushing blow. That is a 10 or higher is a save, and it does not break. A 9 or lower, the box breaks on a d20. On d20? Yeah. All right. Good Um, box. It's good box. It's solid. You get down to the the bottom floor, take a look at it. Um, The box is still intact, but you do see some sort of fluid spilling out through um, like the, the lip where it would normally open. Um, Alrighty. Whatever was inside seems to have broken and spilled its fluid contents everywhere. Which is your cue to leave because yes. you stole your shit, you broke his broke box, his and shit. you broke the potion that was probably in there. And the gnomes yeah. have seen this happen. 
Um, so you know that you can't stay in Hillsborough. If you want to leave and head for the Dardennes or something, you need to go to Redport to catch a boat because Hillsborough is too well known to your your master. I'll flip off the gnomes and tell him, uh, show that to Merlin when he talks about my contract again. <laughs> Uh, they cheerfully wave you goodbye they don't really give a shit about your problems with Merlin or Merlin's problems with you they're just happy to have a job doing some gardening and um, yeah and you can go you will arrive in Redport sometime later you will meet Captain Winters and his faithful servants and take off for the Dardens. and this will be Nilrum's backstory in the future we might do another like flashback or two um, and if we do, we'll find some like cool part of your story that we haven't talked about yet or go into more detail on one of these little yeah. side quests. Uh, but that's that. There we go. Anything you want to say? Anything you want to add to your character's backstory? Um, no, I think we did a good job. I think we kind of fleshed it out. It's pretty good. All right. He has an eight hotness, 12 grub score. Uh, hopefully he impressed... Merlin with his intelligence. It seemed like he did because he was showing him off. You really did. So, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. He will be <sighs> devastated to lose his apprentice and his investments and furious to learn that you've destroyed his elixir of health and uh, stolen all this stuff. And also the disrespect of leaving unannounced. Ugh. Flipping off his gnomes. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If Merlin ever catches wind of you, you know he will come for you. You are legally bound to him for 15 years in sort of like an indentured servitude type of arrangement. Um, and for every year that you are gone, one extra year gets tacked onto your sentence is the wrong word, but your contract. Um, How old was Merlin? So Forty-five, fifty, something like oh, that. Damn. Okay. Yeah, older right. gentleman, not too old. I'll handle him one day. One uh, day. Nilrim thinks probably very. Uh, he thinks like little of him, I guess. Uh, he doesn't think highly of him. Mm -hmm. He's just kind of a failed wizard who lives in a tower, doesn't do any adventuring. Um, he's just a means to an end for Nilrim. So nice. Great. Well, we'll come back on the other side of our break with Potato McWhiskey's character. Um, awesome. Sale. And we'll see how Sale got to be where he is today. So bye -bye. thank you, Mr. Moon. We'll see you later. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tides of Death. We are here with Potato McWhiskey. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Aside from a lack of sleep, but otherwise great. Yeah, that does happen, doesn't it? It does happen. Mm -hmm. Those little critters running around at 2 a.m., the most exciting time to be awake. Of course. So, um, why don't you introduce us to your character? What is your character's name? My character is called Sail. And, and they um, are uh, mm -hmm. quite devious. They mm -hmm. are a liar and a cheat and a swindler at heart. <gasps> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I get that. Totally. So our first chapter here is going to be this seminal event um, that sort of puts you on the path to where you are today. You and your older brother um, arrived in the Dardens years ago. How many years ago was it that you arrived in the Dardens for the first time? Uh, I would say it was about two years ago. 
two years ago. Okay. Okay. How old were you at this point two years ago? Uh, probably like I was early twenties. He's kind of mid twenties. Okay. So, so early like 20s. 20, 23. Like 23. Okay. That's nice. I like so, a man with a twinkle in his eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how is it that you originally came to the Dardens? How did you arrive here for the first time? I, I think it was um, mainly my brother's idea. He had sort of a dream to go away, fame and fortune, earn his voyage on a boat and sort of maybe captain his own ship sometime. And I always lived in his shadow. So I was kind of like, I can't let him go be you know, famous and successful without me. Mm. I deserve that. Let's see. Uh, but it all went terribly, terribly wrong, right? What, what was the the event that made everything go sideways? I think we were pulling into port, and I think we had like misread our maps, and maybe we pulled into the wrong kind of port, mm. and it was perhaps more lawless than we had thought it would be, and you know, you get to drinking in the local bar and. Next thing you know, you're waking up on your ship with a sword to your throat. Yeah, that does happen. Um, so, you and your brother wake up in port. Swords to your throat. Um, I assume that there's some other people on this ship. You've got some other crew here. And you will, the two of you, get pulled apart from the rest of the crew. You guys have been identified as the captain and the first mate, even if that's not technically your title here. Um, and the unscrupulous folks who have you have already searched your boat um, and apparently found nothing, found no valuables whatsoever. Your brother yeah, they will... would have found grain. Yeah, your brother explains that, you know, you're in between things right now. You're here with just the grain that you've got. There's no money to be had. And uh, these brigands have a conversation in front of you to each other. And it's somewhat along the lines of, well, what are we going to do with these guys? They've seen us. They know who we are. If we let them go, they'll report us to the White Prince. And if the White Prince hears about this sort of operation, well, certainly we'll have to deal with some of their seekers soon enough, and that's going to be the end of us. I say we cut their heads off and throw them in the ocean. Let them think that pirates did it. Well, they'll never find, they'll never track us here. The tides will pull them away. Um, and this seems to be kind of picking up steam with the rest of the party. Uh, they seem content just to kill you guys and throw you in the ocean. How are you going to get so, out of this? Yeah, I uh, I kind of interject. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. There's no need to kill anybody, guys. Listen, I can get you a ransom. Me and my brother, we're actually kind of like minor lords back in our town. And we're kind of scions. We ran away. You know how it is, you know, shadow of the father. We had to make our own way in the world. But look, you know, if you get me back to Redport or, or, or back over to Arcadia, I could I could get a boat over here with a bit of cash and you could set my me and my brother for I don't care what you do with the crew, kill the crew, whatever, but my brother and I I can get you some I can get you some gold if you let us live. How much gold do you think your brother would call for ransom? 
Oh, I don't know. That's a tough one. I'd say, uh, what's what's like a, um, what would be like a decent amount of gold? Like the sort of money that would, uh, someone would be like, okay, I'm going to buy a farm and retire. And, yeah, like, so live out my days. very generally, a direct comparison is not possible, but very generally, one gold piece is about $100 or 100 euros, whatever. Um, yeah. So a thousand gold is like a hundred thousand bucks, which is not a bad ransom for a minor noble. Um, couple thousand gold, couple hundred thousand dollars. That's pretty decent ransom for a, a mid-class to high-class noble, you know. Uh, 10,000 gold would be about a million dollars. And that would be, a, you know, a very hefty ransom. Uh, so I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, how much gold do I quote? It's like, I don't want to go too low because they might just think we're not worth it. So I say, you know, like I could probably get you like a thousand gold, maybe a bit more just in and around there. Really? What do you got? Thousand gold for your brother, huh? What sort of nobles are you? Uh, well, you know, we... We own a bit of land and we have a lot of money, you know, we're into banking and stuff like that. Hmm. Arcadia is a pretty great distance from here. You sure you're not going to get a cold feet? Turn around, leave your brother here to rot, leave us here to feed him. I like, I put my hand on my chest and I'm like, you dare question that I wouldn't come back for my dear brother, the brother I have grown with and known my entire life? Give me I'm a offended. charisma check. Uh, okay, charisma is 11. Yeah, you can click the big purple CHR button or you can roll d20 plus 11, whichever you choose. Ah, that's perfect. Uh-oh. Uh, that is a very <laughs> oh, no. good roll. Um, that is a, a very good roll. Here's the dice page. Um, oh, 30. Yeah. You want a 21 or higher for success. So a 30 is an absolute baller of a success. Uh, They believe you. They think you are 100%. They see sincerity in your eyes when you talk about bringing back your brother, being nobles that are involved in banking. And you know bankers, I mean, you got to trust them at their word. Their word's the only thing that they've got going for them. A banker who lies is a banker who's quickly out of business. Child of a banker out here selling some grain. It all seems to be adding up to them. So they tell you that they will accept the ransom for your brother. Um, if you can, the, the trip from here to Arcadia, um, roughly like a month and a half. If you can be back in three months with the money, they'll ransom him at a thousand gold. If it takes more than three months, but less than six months, it goes up 50%. And then it goes up another 50% for every six months after that, that you take. Um, or you'll come back and he'll be dead, you know, depending on what. So uh, you want your brother alive, you stay in touch, you get back as quickly as possible with that money, and we'll, we'll keep him here for you. If any of this gets out to the White Prince, if we hear the White Prince's men are coming and looking for him, if they suspect anything, if there's even a whiff of suspicion, 
we're going to chop them into little pieces and throw them in the ocean. You had better take extra efforts to protect us while you're away. And you'd better hope that no one comes looking for anyone else that we think might be looking for your brother. Otherwise, we're going to chop them up into little pieces and throw them into the ocean. Little pieces. Like, I gotta, you know, little um, pieces. save me a piece if I'm late. Look at this guy. Look at this gallows humor. He's almost good enough to join us. Okay. All right. We'll we'll keep an eye on him. You better come back. Lickety split. Um, they will take you down uh, to the harbor. They will. They've already like confiscated the stuff on your boat. You can see that your crew has been dragged off to a, a jail cell. Um, someone else is given charge of your boat. One of the minions of the people who've captured you. You haven't even gotten their names yet. You've got like descriptions of their faces. It's two men and three women. Um, you could probably pick them out of a crowd, but you you don't know their names. Um, they give one of their their people. Uh, roll me a d five. Real quick. Yeah, one of the women, the youngest of them, uh, a brunette whose name you will get because she's going to sail with you back towards Arcadia. She'll drop you um, off on a different island that will take you towards Redport. Um, her name is Nina. Um, and she will take you to a different town here in the Dardens that has a ship that will take you back to Arcadia where you can go to Redport and get money and come on back. And you will have a um, short little while, maybe about uh, a week on this boat with Nina and some of her other crew members who you don't really get to know at all. Um, so... What do you say to Nina? How do you behave for this first week when you're still in view of the people who have captured you and your brother? Um, I think I, I'm trying to be very, you know, uh, subservient and, and thankful for their their kindness of, you know, being generous enough to accept the ransom and not just outright kill us. And so I'm trying to be sort of uh, agreeable and amenable and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm also sort of trying to figure out who they are, like, and what they're up to. And yeah, maybe if they talk about, like, if they have an enemy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why don't you give me another charisma check, please? Let's see how well you get along with Nina. How, uh, how the two of you hit it off. 22. Very nice. So um, you and Nina actually get along. Despite kidnapping your brother, she's kind of a likable woman she's got a, a clear mind of what she wants in life she goes after it she's able to run a ship pretty well and she is um quite the fighter uh during your week together she arms you with a rapier and practice with you she gets bored on the boat most of the time you're just sailing you got the guy at the helm and you're just chilling waiting for land to show up so uh, she will spar back and forth with you um, and I think this is where you first learn some sort of sword fighting is with Nina here. Um, yep. Tell me, are you eager to learn this sort of thing or are you just playing along because she's asking you to play along? How does your... I'm, I'm sort of 
curious, but it kind of is kind of above me. I'm more about like sort of manipulation, but I'm enjoying it because it's kind of passing the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, will you give me an intelligence check to see how quickly you pick up sword fighting? 25. Very nice. So, despite this not being what you wanted to be out here doing, you managed to pick up the back and forth pretty well. Um, maybe it's because you and Nina actually get along very well that you can read what her body is about to do. She can read what you're thinking. And the back and forth sparring is nice. I mean, she's clearly outclassing you. She's like a level five fighter or something. She could easily kick your ass if she wanted, but it comes along a lot more nicely and a lot more um, appreciably uh, skillfully than anyone would have expected. After a week and a half aboard the boat, you are being let off on a dock that will head, you know, back to another ship that'll head back to the to Red Shore, to Redport. Um, and she gives you a rapier, which is not a cheap thing. That's like a 40 gold item that she's just handing you right now with a, um, no, it's a show of, how would you say? Camaraderie? Camaraderie, yeah, camaraderie and something. Like, there's something going on here. There's almost—I wouldn't call it quite like a crush or a romance—but there is a connection between you and your captor, which is more than friendly. It's almost like a mutual respect or a mutual, um, you know, desire to see the other person do well. Camaraderie is a pretty good word here, uh, and so she will gift you a rapier. Uh, Brilliant. Mm -hmm. At That's the same... awesome. Nina's, I like Nina. Mm -hmm. um, tell me, what do you? What would you have said to her or um, left her with when you guys departed after she gifts you a rapier? Uh, I would have said, "This is this is too much. I can't take this. I can't possibly take a rapier." You know, I don't. I don't know what to say. I didn't expect a gift. This is incredible. Thank you so much. Add it to the total of gold that you owe us. Make it a thousand and forty. We'll call it even. You're gonna I'm need. Like, I'm, I'm like... Go ahead. I'm like bowing and scraping. It's like yes, absolutely, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to add it to the total. Mm-hmm. And just make sure you live long enough to get us our gold. Don't forget, we still have your brother's life in our hands. And while I would hate to see his blood, your kin's blood, be shed. We'll have our money one way or another, even if we have to get it out of him ourselves. And she like uh, yeah, abs checks oh. your eyes to make sure she's made an impression upon you. Like I do my best impression of being sort of like a bit you know, taken aback and okay, I wasn't expecting this fury. We were getting along so well, you know? Mm -hmm. All right. Um, yeah, with that, she'll leave you on the dock. Um, to make your way back home to Arcadia. Uh, and how does your journey home go? Is it straightforward or is it messy? You can just decide this one on your own. Uh, I'd say it's like fairly straightforward. I, you know, I run into a few people. I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I run my mouth, etc. Mm -hmm. But nothing, yeah. nothing remarkable happens on the journey home. Great. So eventually you'll make it home. 
back to your home of Rockwave. I think you first get you land in Redport and then hike along the road for a few miles back to Rockwave. When you get home, your family is here um, waiting for you guys, not ever really knowing when you get back, because, of course, back in the day of sailors, they just arrive when they arrive. They might be gone for a month or maybe they're gone for 10 years, but one day they come home. Um, they are excited to see you and they quickly notice your brother is not here and you arrived by road when you left by boat. Where's Bale? Well, look, we, he, he got himself captured and, you know, I, I tried to free him, but I, I, I couldn't beat them. And uh, they ended up capturing me too and they want a ransom for him. And I, I told them that, look, I... I, I'm the less important brother, you know. I'll, I'll go back and see if I can get the money for them. Tell me about your family. What social class are they from? Are they peasants, servants, merchants, nobles? Oh, they're actually like dirt poor. <laughs> dirt poor peasants. Ah. Your father looks at you. Sail. Did you leave your brother in the hands of people who captured him? Um, well, they were going to kill us, so I just, I did what I had to to survive. Like, you know what it's like. I don't know what it's like throwing away my brother's life to save my own. And no son of mine will ever know what that's like. Uh, and your father will take a um, just a little pitchfork that he's been shoveling shit with and tosses it over towards you and grabs a, a hoe from nearby and spins it around and sort of like spar stands off with you um, and begins to tell you the story of when he was a very young man. Uh, there was this incursion of Grell into the Hemdorkas Hills to the north. Um, this is a famous historical event in the area a couple generations back called the Hemdorkas Incursion. And the kingdom had to unite against this like sudden outpouring of Grell, these evil, weird like creatures with giant brains that have beaks and tentacles. Let me just show you a picture because Grell are kind of cool looking. I mean, they're, they're totally cheesy and dumb, but they're also terrifying and awesome. Um, and they're like, you know, 10th level psychic space alien looking monstery thingies that showed up oh God. and your dad those, tells those you about fight. yeah the time that he was pulled into the army to go fight grell and how he learned camaraderie and brotherhood and um, honor and friendship and also how to fight with a spear uh, and he even though he doesn't have a spear will start to wail on you with the blunt end of a pitch of the the hoe while you try and defend yourself with the pitchfork as sort of like a punishment for leaving your brother behind and also a I'm going to teach you how to use a spear so you can go find your brother and bring him back home because you're not going to abandon your brother where is he? Sale where'd you leave him? your father asks I I, I don't know I, I don't remember the name of the town I think it was called like something or other it was it was in the island. something or other he whacks at you yeah. again with his stick you left your brother in something or other port how are you ever gonna find him sail hmm i i, I didn't really think that firefighter you you know me i'm i'm good at getting out of things i'm not good at fixing things 
this is not a, you know, necessarily well-reserved. I think your father, in a burst of anger, will uh, really start trying to crack you over the head with this. But he's a bit older than you, and he was only, like, a soldier for a couple of years, like, 40 years ago. So his spearmanship is not that great. He knows enough to teach you the basics, which will be done over the next couple years. Uh, And I think this is where we take our first break. We'll come back. Yep. And when we do... We will talk about um, what it is that gets you to change your mind and go out searching for your brother and how you first set off on your journey. But we will do that on the other side of our break. So see you guys in a few minutes. Bye-bye. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tides of Death. Um, so a couple years pass. You're here at home. You're Dad tried to do his best to teach you to fight with the spear, but, you know, life comes up. Life gets in the way. Um, Complications happen. The first complication um, is this terrible, terrible event that happens not long after you get back. Um, Eridon, the kingdom you're a part of, quickly falls apart. Um, you guys are in a safe region, so you're you're not too terribly impacted, except for the fact uh, that your dear papa, um, your kid brother, and your sister went on a trip. They went to go visit your aunt and your uncle over in Anvil, the next you know the next town over. It's over the the rock ridge near the firewood. It's a cute, quaint little town. Um, they had to go by boat because you don't really want to cross the Rock Ridge. There's too many hobgoblins over there. You know, there's some ogres and the mountain giants. And of course, the rock, I mean, not like the rock actually ever kills anything, but you know, there, there's some monsters. So they take a boat over to Anvil. And then they don't come back on time. But as we discussed earlier, you know, ships, they come, they go, they take time. You never know. There's no like telephones, there's no uh, um, telegraphs. You know, information arrives when the boat arrives. And when information does arrive from Anvil, it's that Anvil's been destroyed. That there are monsters swarming over Anvil. That these demonic creatures from another plane are just crushing the hillsides. Um, And the next couple years, the next, well, the next six months, really are sort of a nightmare of soldiers being marshaled, of all of the peasants being called to work overtime to not just only do the work that they've been assigned in the fields, but also to put in extra time and labor reinforcing the defenses of this area. Your father, your sister, your little brother are all still missing. It's just you and your mom now. And that training you were doing with your dad didn't get too far before all of this happened. And a few months down the line, you and your mother and everyone else gives up any hope of survivors of Anvil. You guys learn that the southern half of Eridon has been overrun by these outer planar demons that appeared out of nowhere and just destroyed everything. Um, It's very clear that the world has changed. And your mother, um, lovely woman that she is, is growing a little bit desperate. Um, Three out of four of her children are lost and presumed dead. Her husband is lost 
and presumed dead, and the two of you don't have the manpower to work the amount of field that is assigned to your family. And so the amount of land that you guys like own, that you, you get to work and do with as you please, gets cut and cut and cut uh, until there's not enough for the two of you to support yourselves. So in these dark times, when demons are sacking cities nearby, what is it that sale is doing with his time while while all of this um, downfall is happening? Um, he's probably looking for a way to get out of this place. He's like, all right, what do I do? Can I sign up with a group? Can I join someone? Can I like get a job in you know some other place? He's trying to figure out a way to get him and his mother basically out of the firing line of this demonic horde. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so who is it that can help you with this to get out of the the firing line? Um, do you have any ideas off the top of your head about how you might, who you might be able to go to help you with this problem? Ooh, um... Probably... Probably the family, I guess. I would, like, maybe travel. I know we have family, like, in one of the nearby towns. Mm -hmm. I'd probably go and see if, like, I could get an apprenticeship or something and get enough money to send my mother away. Yeah, make me a charisma check, and we'll see how this goes. Terribly. Absolutely (laughs) terribly. You head to the next town over. um, Whoops, chat can't see the rules. Here we go. You head to the next town over, uh, the capital of this county over here, Clydesdale. And you've got some family in Clydesdale that work as servants for the, the count who lives there. But they don't like your attitude. You know, your family that are servants here get you like an interview with the head butler. And you talk to the head butler and your family, your aunt over here talks to the head butler. Uh, But your conversation with him does not go well at all. He can see that you're just like a sniveling, sniving cheat of a person who will say whatever it takes to give whatever you want or at least that's his opinion of you and he looks down his nose at you and shakes his head and says young man dishonesty will get you nowhere in life you should know your position you were born a peasant you will live your whole life as a peasant and you will die a peasant if you're lucky you should not seek to rise so far above your station especially with an attitude like that you will never make anything of yourself in life. He decries and berates you. However, your mother seems a good woman who has worked her whole life, raised three good children, and your aunt speaks very highly of her. I think we can find room for her here as a washerwoman in the castle but we will never take you. How do you feel about that? Um, I like, uh, you know, I kind of, I, I kind of dropped my knees and I'm sniveling and I'm groveling. I'm like, but, 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 but please, please. I, I need some sort of job. How will I live? I've, I've tried so hard and I've suffered so much. And is, is it a crime to dream to have a better life? 
considers you again. Give me another charisma check for how well you can grovel. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, you get rather quickly that this head butler, he likes the position of power. You know, he likes being able to hold other people's fates in his life. He's used to being like, you know, the lowest person in the room of nobles. So when he gets to be the highest person in a room of peasants and servants, he relishes the glory and you find a way to like play at that to like talk him up to feed his ego and after you you know you grovel and um you know say the things that you know he wants to hear uh he graciously gives you a job as a water carrier um because you know that water ain't gonna bring itself up the castle steps someone's got to get it from the well and haul it bucket by bucket up to the top level of the castle where you can then throw it in the bath and do you know how many bucket loads it takes to fill a bathtub a lot a lot they need young strong men to just haul shit for them all the time and uh so the two of you can move to clydesdale your job as a bucket carrier kind of sucks yeah i'm not loving it i'm not not a happy camper yeah your mom gets a pretty decent position um washing something that she's done already you know she also worked the fields. she did all sorts of things this is in her wheelhouse and at least now she gets to hang out with her sister um, who's also a washerwoman so the two of them get along pretty well One night, after a long day, your mom's had a few glasses of cheap wine that's been watered down. You hear her sobbing to her sister about Bale. Poor, poor Bale. Still alive, probably somewhere. Somewhere far away, maybe enslaved, maybe, um, you know, used for labor. Poor Bale is out there. How am I supposed to ever get my have my family back if my son, my firstborn son, is missing? Um, and I think she catches you listening at the door, or maybe the door is like open and you're just walking by, and she'll call you in. And with your aunt and like the other ladies of the house there, all watching, uh, your drunken mom gets down on her hands and knees and begs you to find your brother, begs you to save him from whatever hell he's in. She crawls up and like kisses your feet, asking you, please, Sail, your brother, you can't leave him out there. He needs to come home. The rest of our family is dead and gone. We don't know how much time we have left in this world. Sail, you have to bring him home. And how does that, how does that fit, sit with you? Or what do you say to that? I kind of I, I stand there in sort of silent shock for a bit because my mother is like my one weakness. You know, she's always looked after me. She's always sort of, you know, told me I'm special and, and made me feel good about myself. And I'm sort of mm-hmm. fed this sort of narcissistic ego that I have. And it's very hard to say no to her. Mm-hmm. And um, you're such uh, a good I, boy, I, I, Sale. I know you'll bring him back. You would never disappoint me. You're so capable. You're so strong. You're so smart. I know you can do it, Sale. I know you can save him. 
So I like I real I, I remember that I'm also being watched. So I got I'm like all right I gotta play it up. I'll, I'll figure something out. So I like I, I crouch down and I hug my brother and I make a promise that I'll I'll find my brother even if my heart's not really in it. Like I'll just say I I promise you mom I'll, I'll find her I'll I'll get him back. But how we don't have any money. You said they wanted a ransom and we're broke. It's like I'll I'll find a way. Don't worry about it. I will we'll figure something out. And uh, I'll come up with a plan. Just give me a couple of days, and I'll I'll come up with a plan. Okay. So, committing at least to your mother and to yourself somewhat to find your brother. It's time to formulate a plan. And in the same breath, we also need to figure out how you learned these skills that you've got. For example, anatomy, and first aid, and healing. Where did you learn these skills? Are these skills you've learned yet, even? Um, I think I would have maybe, I would have maybe sort of done my best to see if I could get some forged credentials from the castle and signed up to some sort of healer school or medical school or something like mm. that as a sort of step up out of the the washer thing. And out that's of the washer kind of thing. The plan. Yeah, I need to, I, or out of the uh, the water carrier. It's like as a way to make a bit of money to get a boat or a crew mm-hmm. from Redport mm-hmm. and go save my brother. Well, the local undertaker um, has need of an assistant. Uh, it's a pretty good job. It gets you out of having to haul water up and down the stairs, which has been, you know, great for you health wise. You've got 15 strength and 16 con. And it's not just the farming. It's that hauling water all day. Every day is, uh, you know builds up those core muscles, builds up that stamina. And the local mortician, he needs someone to help him prepare the dead um, because there's a lot of dead coming in from the various demons about and all the normal causes. So you can get uh, an apprenticeship with the local mortician. I think that's how you can learn your anatomy because you will, when you prepare a body, you know which organs to take out. You you understand, you know, how to arrange the insides, what things to put in a body to reduce the, the decay or to pump up the smell. You learn which organs are which, where to make incisions on people, where the major arteries are. You see all sorts of injuries coming back from the front lines of demon fights over the hills. You'll, you'll learn major carotid femoral arteries um the weak spots between the ribs where the lungs are easily accessible um and shortly thereafter you get loaned out by your mortician uh master i don't know what the term for the head mortician is um but you get loaned out as part of a um what do they call them uh you get loaned out to the barber with the military now back in the olden days before surgery was ever really a known field uh, barbers were the surgeons um which is you know a bit strange to us modern folk we think of barbers as like scissors with the hair uh, but it's also people that are good with the knife they would do all the decap not decapitations all the um what's uh what is it when you lose an oh, arm the word the uh, word D. for losing a limb it's not castration, it? it's uh, amputation. They That's do all the, the amputating, you know, all the, the minor patchings and injuries, all the sewings up of whatnot. 
and it's on the front lines near Rock Ridge and Hillsboro, where you see demons fighting people and you treat burns, you treat um, cuts and stabs mostly. And you can use the anatomy training that you had uh, from the mortician to surprisingly excel in this area. Uh, would you give me a anatomy, first aid, and healing check? Just roll all three of them, and we'll see how well you excel. I might have spoken too soon, actually. Never mind. It's another natural 20. And another... Well, all right, so... You do very, very well here on the front lines. Um, you, you're you still a young man. You're still like working as an assistant to the, the head barber. But by the end of six months of service on the front lines, when the demons seem to just be fading away and disappearing from view, not that many of them have been slain, not that they've been like stopped, but they've just, they've gone north in the direction of heat stroke and they just kind of stop coming out of the hourglass desert. Um, by the end of this period, you are a resourceful barber, healer, butcher. You've treated a lot of wounds. You've seen a lot of the injured, um, and you've carried a lot of water. So how do you learn um, swimming and seamanship? Those are two skills. The omen reading we'll get to later. I've got an idea for that. Um, but where do you learn to swim, Sail? Um, I think the seamanship I I learned on the boat with Nina, I think we could say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she um, would have definitely these... taught you a little bit during that week, and then you could have followed up with the rest of the month back to Arcadia on whatever ship you were. You could have picked up a little bit from them, certainly. Yeah. Continue. Uh, and then for swimming, I think it was just um, something I learned as I grew up. It was kind of a, okay. you know, the water is dangerous you know one of one of my second or third cousins drowned or something mm -hmm. and everyone was like you all need to learn how to swim mm -hmm. because family tragedy is not happening again yeah yeah there's a certain number of people who are self-taught swimmers that it wasn't a big uh, important thing for most people of this time swimming is a skill they don't have they don't have pools they don't have lifeguards they don't have like swim instructors so most people don't know how to swim some people are specifically taught it or seek out the skill and some people kind of like you you live by the water you play in the water you get concerned about drowning or being swept out to sea, so you put a little bit of effort, and it just kind of comes naturally to you, and you you pick it up just um, by the way you do things. You think Plus you need to learn you know, it, and you do it. Foraging for sea urchins and you know mm -hmm. whatever food might need to be put on the table that week. Yeah, totally. Okay, so we get swimming, we get seamanship. Um, you learn healing and anatomy and first aid. And these, did we say it was two years between um, when, between when you lost your brother and when you can find him again or set off to find him again? Right? Yeah, I'd say r roughly two years. Great. So two years later, um, the, the monsters have stopped showing up. The demons seem to have faded away. You get called back, back to doing your mortician work, um, and life begins to slow down again. 
you stop learning new and interesting things. You're doing these boring routine tasks that you've done a thousand times before where you pull out the liver and then you weigh the liver and then you stuff the body with potpourri or whatever it is that you stuff it with. And then you, you know, put on the suit and the tie and you straighten it up and you put them in the box and you wait for the ceremonies to be done and you haul the box here and you do all the dirty bitch work and your hands smell like the dead. Your fingernails are permanently caked in like the juices of bodies and you're not really making up making much money anymore and your mother is um her depression grows deeper you know she's lost everyone you've been gone to the front lines this whole time when you do finally get a chance to see her she seems distant you know kind of she's got that distant days of someone who is a perpetual alcoholic or someone who's like perpetually numbing themselves with um, substances because reality is just too harsh and painful that sort of almost checked out view that they've got about themselves still functional still operational but just not a hundred percent yeah they're not quite there anymore yeah and you can see the stress and toll of all of these things, how it's taken on your mother, losing your family lands, losing her husband, her three of her four children. Um, is this when you decide it's time to amend things? Are you interested in amending things? Or are you just trying to pacify your mother? Do you even really care what she thinks? Um, I do care about my mother. She is my weakness. And I kind of been formulating a plan to maybe try to steal some money or something from the castle or or acquire just enough money to get me on a boat to actually do it because it's the one thing that could motivate me aside Mm. from my own ego just wanting to be rich and powerful and skilled you think you might resort to thievery to get it done um I think it would be more like a manipulation so for example it might be oh you know oh someone has to go to xyz to pick up these goods and i'll be like oh i'll go i'll you know me you guys have known me for years and then i just take the money and run right or, or maybe i stage my own death that would be a fun one you stage your own death how do you profit off of that how does that help uh, you i like the idea but where does it go uh, it's to protect my mother because if I just run off with the money, she would be mm. held accountable for it. So I'm like, I maybe I pay off a couple of bandits to. Oh, I find a body that looks a lot like me in my work as a um, funeral ah. uh, thing, and I pay a couple of thugs to kill me and uh, make off with whatever's left of the money for whatever the task I was supposed to be doing was excellent excellent um so your head mortician we've mentioned that you like stuff the body with something that smells nice in order to slow down the rot in order to you know preserve it enough for viewership um most people when they have their bodies prepared don't really get this sort of treatment it's a fancier treatment um the fanciest of which requires certain oils and spices which your mortician keeps under lock and key because they're quite expensive um and they charge a lot to the fancy nobles who use this stuff but every so often you run out and it's the apprentice's job to go pick up supplies 
and that is when you get a nice fat wad of a hundred gold coins to go buy these materials from the market in town because um, the vendor who brings these things only comes every once in a while uh, and so they're here in town today and you go off to grab this stuff but of course you use the body that you've got that looks sort of like you mixed with these brigands these thieves how much do you pay them of the hundred gold that you have um how uh, I, greedy I, are you I would offer them 20 gold each that would cut deeply into your 100 GP profits wouldn't it it would but you've gotta you gotta make sure that you gotta pay for a little bit of loyalty and 60 gold could get me pretty far like out into the ocean Okay, well, um, why don't you give me a charisma check for how your negotiations for this project goes with your thief friends, your uh, your thug friends. It goes well. They stage a nice beating. They steal the body from the mortuary. They mix it where yours was. And sure enough, people buy it that you were beaten and killed for your money. And is this when you set off? Oh, I forgot to say, uh, I don't tell my mother about this. Yeah. But I do, I, <laughs> she's an alcoholic, she, those loose lips. Um, but yeah, I set off then. Okay, so your mother thinks her all her children are dead now. Uh, yes. Or, you know, maybe Bale's alive somewhere, but it, clearly she thinks Sale is dead. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta do what you gotta do. Okay. Um, now I'm gonna have you roll me. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tides of Death. Uh, sorry about that. Stream bopped in and out for a moment. Um, your luck roll. Everything goes well. You manage to hide the wounds on the body. Um, so that it looks like, you know, they were the same wounds that killed you. You managed to hide the body that's not hide the body. You managed to convince the undertaker that you, that the funeral had already happened for the person whose corpse you're using to be your own. No one suspects a thing as you slip away with your 60 gold and make it to, uh, the docks in Redport where you hop aboard a ship captained by some guy named Winters and set sail for the Dardens. Awesome. That's when your ship sinks. And oh, you drown. No. And you die. Essentially. Um, it is a terrible storm in which your, your ships sink. Your whole group is out there in the middle of this terrible storm that just pitches your ship back and forth. And you get the impression, despite Captain John Williams seeming like a guy who's got his shit together, like he's a smooth talker, he made you believe that he'd be a great guy, you get the impression that this is the first time this crew has ever really sailed this ship. Uh, and like three weeks, four weeks into your voyage, you have no idea, you're in the middle of the ocean, you get caught by this terrible storm, the ship gets tossed, the mast breaks, the whole thing splits apart, and it was a brand new, beautiful boat, but the whole thing sinks. And you fall. You 
dip deep into the ocean. And, um... Well, you die. Uh, you can feel the water fill your lungs as the sky above you vanishes. Everything gets nice and dark. Um, and you lose consciousness. Only to regain it. Uh, deep, deep underwater. Uh, all is dark. You cannot see the light of the sky. Um, you can just sort of feel the bubbles around you, feel the the water, your hair kind of like floating around. There's that sensation of being sort of weightless and having all of your hair stand on dead and flutter around you. When a pair of eyes appear in the darkness, um, they're sort of that dull, tawny, sandy color or the, the color of a sandy beach. Um, I know sand comes in a lot of colors, but that sort of like yellowish um, sand that you've got everywhere. Sort of a pale amber almost. Yeah, that's a really good description of it. Mm -hmm. um, your lungs are presently filled with water. You should be dead. You should not be able to breathe. And yet you are managing to stay here somehow. And you certainly can't talk like you normally would, but there are these eyes before you and you feel a sense of communication with you and these eyes. Um, what do you do? Uh, I try to speak. I say, am I, am I dead? Yes, comes the voice. You are dead. And, and who are you? Why, why can I still do things if I'm dead? I am Rohi. And I am going to save your life. Brilliant. I'm all aboard. Finally, I can talk to an equal. How's it going? Um, why are you saving me? Is there a price for this being saved? Yes, there is a price. Are you... Can, can we haggle? Like, maybe I, I'm... Well, no, I'm not okay being dead, but can we haggle? Like, what is the thing that I have to do for you? Or do I have to do anything for you? I need an agent in the waters above. I need someone to enact my will. And you need help to rescue your brother. That is true. I do need to do that. Um, how are we going to do that? Exactly. Do you have powers? Can you give me powers? Can, am um, I going to be a god? A hand comes out of the darkness, almost as if there's like a boundary to which at which point you can see it. And this hand reaches out towards you, but instead of being like a proper hand with five fingers that has like, you know, three joints each, 
Um, this hand is more, you know, it's kind of still got the human hand shape, but instead of like the jointed fingers, each finger is like a short little tentacle of its own making. Instead of having like five or four fingers and a thumb, this is like eight-ish tentacles that come out almost in a full circle. Not quite, as if like there's an extra finger here, here, and here, or two on this side and one on this side. So maybe like six fingers and two thumbs, but they're all sort of like tentacly or octopus-like instead. Um, and it reaches out for your hand. Um, I sort of tentatively like reach out my hand and I touch one of his tentacles and like just kind of gently grab it. Yeah, they curl around yours as well. Um, and the two of you end up gripping each other. Uh, Rohi says to you, you will do what I need. And in exchange, I will grant you near limitless powers. These you can use for whatever purpose you wish. If you wish to enrich yourself, you may do so. If you wish to conquer others, so be it. But in exchange, I need things from you. I, the first oath you must swear to me is to disrupt the white prince's activities anywhere and everywhere you can. If you see his agents, you are to make their life difficult or to destroy them. The white prince must be stopped in his endless ambition or the whole of our area will fall to him. Um, you know what? Never like the White Prince, I'm in. I, I accept the first oath. The second oath is to never reveal who I am to anyone. You can tell people anything you want about yourself. You can tell people anything you want about where you derive your magic. Anything but the truth. Do not share my name with anyone. Do not share my form with anyone. Do not tell anyone how you came across me. Hmm. I hesitate a little bit. I'm, you know, but I, I, I think I, I feel like this is the kind of thing that I can't like lie and cheat my way out of so I'm kind of hesitating a bit and I I say okay um that's really tough but you drive a hard bargain but I accept your second oath my name is Rohi and when you cast your spells you must call to me and I will channel them unto you my most spells will require a symbol of my being and the tentacles reach out and grab the sand at your feet and like kind of raise it above you and just let it slowly filter down through the water 
The sand is my symbol. My name is Rohi. You must call me to cast your spells. You must have my components, my symbol, to cast them as well. Every time you use my name, you call my attention to the moment, and I will be able to see what you see, hear what you hear. When you fight agents of the White Prince, when you attempt to disrupt their activities, call to me. Let me see what you do. If you fail to interpose yourself in their way, I will drown you. Wherever you go in the surface world, I will be able to fill your lungs with water and drown you on the spot. So you must call to me so I can see the progress you make, so I can see the way you disrupt the White Prince. Um, I have a couple of clarifying questions. How do I call to you? Do I verbally? Uh, won't that reveal your name? Do not call to me in the presence of those who might hear you. You're making this really difficult. Um, Do you want near limitless powers? Do you wish for a second chance at life? Do you wish to find your brother where he is held and return him to your mother's embrace? Uh, I mean, yeah, but man, that's a really hard restriction. What if like, it's a really bad idea to, to mess with the white prince's people? Ah. Well, I guess you don't really give me a choice because I'm just going to die if I say no, so I'm in. I don't expect you to throw your life away needlessly. You are my agent. I expect you to perform well. Sometimes discretion is the better part of valor. Sometimes you must plant seeds that will grow later. Do not be hasty, but do undermine the white prince at every twist and turn destroy his organization from within if you slay the white prince another will simply rise to take his place it is his grip on the dardens that must be broken and you do that from within from causing the empire to crumble seek to destroy it wherever possible from time right, so to time... Like... Go ahead. Oh, sorry, you weren't finished. Go ahead. From time to time, I will call to you. You will know that I have called to you, for you will see the writings in the sand, the messages for your eyes only. And I will direct you to some specific place, some specific task that needs to be done. If you serve me well... If you are loyal and faithful and accomplish your tasks, I will direct you to your brother, who still lives. Could you, could you also like send a message to my mom and tell her I'm I'm not dead? <laughs> um, but otherwise, like I just like start cracking my knuckles, like stretching out. I'm like I'm ready to take down an empire. I mean, I want to be the god king.
You will need friends. You will need allies. The tasks before you are too great to do on your own. I will find companions for you. You will wash up on shore with them. Do you understand? Yeah, uh, kill an empire, uh, destroy the world, hail your name, and uh, make friends on a beach. Got it. And what happens when someone asks where you get your magic from? What will you tell them? I will lie so hard and so fast, and I will say that I get my power from whatever the local deity is. What will you tell your friends who you travel with? They will certainly hear lie after lie and know you speak false. What, when they ask you directly, will you tell them? I will tell them that I am the true heir of this land to rule it and that I wield the power of the true god that rules this land, who cannot be named. The eyes close and blink in satisfaction at this answer. Um, What is my symbol? The creature before you asks again. Uh, I like, I reach down, like, grab a hunk of sand and like, let it fall out of my hand and I'm like the sand of the of the sea perfect um, and with that you find yourself floating upward um, this bizarre tentacle handed creature with you know bright shining eyes at the bottom of the ocean lifts you up and vanishes beneath you um, you will have access to that spell list that I linked you earlier um, at first level, you can cast three spells, I believe it is. Um, yeah, and you've already got your spells here, right? Three, four, five, six. Uh, you just pick the six spells that you like the most, it looks like. Um, I just, I was just kind of playing around with them. They're okay, not cool. finalized. Cool. Yeah. I think there's 18 first level spells, which I know is, is a lot, but, um, I think they're pretty specific. Did- yeah. Did you say I get six of them? No, no, you can cast all of them. There were just six on your character sheet that I was looking at. Gotcha, right. Yeah, yeah sorry, yeah. I misheard you. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, get, I'll get them all in there and, and pick the ones I oh, yeah. think are most. Yeah, yeah, useful. as your leisure. Um, is there anything else you would like to uh, know or ask of this creature before it disappears entirely from you? You've got room for, like, one more final question. Uh, I basically asked, like, Will I be bound to you forever, even if I finish my goal? That's a really good question. When the Empire of the White Prince is no more... I will have no more use for you.
kind of taken aback at that answer. Hmm. Not sure I like that one. Um. Yeah. And that's about it. Um. That's it, yeah. You drift upwards and you will lose consciousness once more. Um. Before washing up on some beach somewhere. And this is going to slow, kind of push us up against um, the very first session. But you will be, I believe, the first person to wake up on this long beach on a nice day. There's still storm clouds above you, um, but the waters are calmer. There's still, you know, there's waves lapping, but it's not stormy or, or nasty, just dark clouds overhead. You can see the wreckage of a boat washed up on shore, as well as three other men nearby, um, unconscious, but all sort of like clustered, um, improbably clustered on the same segment of beach as you. You will recognize two of them. One of them is Captain John Winters, the guy who you gave all of your money to, who put you on the boat that came out here, promised you a smooth voyage, that it was going to be the best time. This is the strongest ship in the fleet. It's totally great. We got the best sailors. You're going to have a wonderful voyage. Don't worry about it. We'll get you there. No problem. And then, like, everything sank and everyone died, basically. Um, and his first mate slash assistant, uh, a man named Archie. Um, and then you'll recognize another person washed up on the shore as one of the other passengers on a boat who you didn't really get to know. Um, some dude, just some fucking passenger. Yeah. Like I, I saw them get onto the boat and I was like, all right, so that guy's on with me. Yeah. But it, you know, there were a bunch of passengers on the ship and this was some other dude who you didn't really spend much time talking to. So, um, Yeah. And I guess that is where we can roughly end here. Uh, is there any other bits of your backstory that you wanted to get into that we didn't quite cover? Anything else that you think would be interesting to talk about? Oh, yeah, you learn omen reading. Like, when you wake up, you feel like you understand how this works, as if it was imparted to you divinely or through some dark magic or something. Uh, the idea of being able to... How do you want to read omens? There's a lot of different ways. It can be entrails, it can be tea leaves and tea. What is your method of divination? That is a good question. I think it would be good to have like an omen that fits the theme. Um, so maybe something to do with sand and water or the sky. What about tide pools? Um sprinkling sand in a still tide pool and watching which way the sand uh, fluctuates as it goes from the top to the bottom. Yeah, I like that one. That's a good one. They're kind of very, very thematic. I, I think that one fits perfectly. Okay. So this will have the um, a strength in that tide pools can be found pretty much anywhere, but a weakness that anywhere means along a coastline at the right tide levels. Uh, but it's free. There's no components. You don't need to, like, hunt a bird and kill it and rip it open while it's still living. You don't need, like, expensive tea leaves properly brewed. You just need a natural setting in order to do your divination. Um, so while yeah. these other people are still unconscious but alive on the seashore, let's try some omen reading. Um, 
you know, you realize you have this power, this ability. Uh, what... How would you like to omen read? What would you like to look into? Um... I will look into whether or not this day holds danger for me. Hmm. Okay. So to use this proficiency, the omen reader phrases a general question about a course of action, such as, is this a good day to start our journey? Should we try to track the orcs to their lair or wait for the next raid? When will the dragon return? I think, will this day be dangerous to me is right in that same area. Um, I then make a proficiency check in secret. If it fails, I can tell you the signs were inconclusive or make up a false answer for a spectacular failure. If the Omen Reader succeeds, I will give you uh, the character a vague answer based on your assess my assessment of the situation. So your Omen Reading check is a 14. I will roll it in secret. So you never know if this is an accurate reading or you rolled a natural one if you got wrecked. Omen is usually good, bad, or inconclusive, although an answer of a day or two or proceed but with caution is acceptable as well. Omens aren't guaranteed. If a party ignores a bad omen, they might succeed on their task anyway. So you get an ill omen, like really bad. You sprinkle the sand into the relatively still pool of the tide here, of the, the, the tide pool, and immediately the sand, like, washes to the side, and there's, like, a little sea anemone, and half the sand, like, washes away from the sea anemone onto, like, the other side of the tide pool, and the other half washes directly into the sea anemone and, like, mixes in amongst itself, and the sea anemone pulls in, trying to, like, clean itself of all of the sand that washed against it. And this, to you is a really bad sign as if your life or your entire um, your life or your liberty or your property not that you own anything at this moment um, might be taken away from you this very day something is coming for you something is coming to take you away oh boy um, that's not great that's the opposite of what I was hoping for yeah um, I guess your next actions after this will be at the very start of our campaign at session one then. So yeah. uh, this has been sales backstory. Very well I hope done. I wasn't, um, I wasn't too flippant with uh, Rohi. I was trying to stay in character. Would it be a bad thing if you were flippant with this strange otherworldly thing? Uh, I, think it, I think it fits my character. Maybe I might have annoyed him a little bit. I mean, he picked you of all people, right? Or she, it, it picked you of all people. It must, uh, yes. maybe it likes your sassiness, you know? Your very direct nature when, you know, when there's nothing, when all your cards are on the table and there's no way to lie or cheat your way out of it and you're just kind of flippant and brash, that could be an attractive quality to a thing like this. Um, or maybe there's some other characteristic of you that it wants and it's, just uh, dealing with that. 
Do you have any sense of what this thing could be? Ooh, um, I feel like it's, oh, I, I think it's something that maybe, maybe it was like an old god that lived in this land. Now this is, is this in character or out of character? Whatever, I don't care. Yeah, I have a feeling it's like some, maybe an old god that, you know, kind of, when a stairs sort of theocratic, theocratic sort of uh, totalitarian state was set up was kind of uh, maybe erased somewhat, mm. and it's not very happy about that. Mm. You know, like any person born in this era, you have an idea of who the 28 gods are in the sky, right? Um, this creature clearly doesn't meet any description of them. So if there is some sort of like old deity or old god, it has long left the mindset of all people, all modern folk. Um, no one would have any idea what the hell this is. So we must be talking about something incredibly ancient, like from before time itself even. Yeah, um, like a primordial sort of force of nature mm. rather than even a even a um, sort of more, you know, mm -hmm. god, god. Cool. Well, we can work with that for now. We'll leave a lot of mystery on this and see where you get with it. Um, and that'll wrap us up for today. So congratulations on your first session. Good job. Yeah, that was absolutely brilliant. I really, really enjoyed uh, pretty much every encounter there. That was great. Excellent. Um, yeah. Then we will be back next week for nick and pokemon challenges i'm sorry uh, green zerg and pokemon challenges characters that's going to be captain john winters and archie b alder so we will see you guys next week for that uh dead of whiskey anything to say before we go thank you guys so much for watching and uh, i saw you guys <laughs> trying to give me hints in chat i appreciate it because there was a couple of times that i was stuck <laughs> the chat helped me out i want to give a shout out to my boys <laughs> Nice. All right. We're out. We will see you guys next time. Bye-bye, everyone.